could have killed him. If you wanted to kill him, I would have killed him. You shot this man with no provocation. He is one of them. Tie him up. You should take him to your doctor. He's no good to your dead. And then what? You talk to him, Saeed. As I recall, that is what you do. But know this. He will lie. For a long time, he will lie. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking about season two episode 14 one of them i'm josh wiggler and i don't know much about hot air balloons but i do know a whole lot about hot air mike bloom I am full of hot air, Josh. That's the joke. You totally got my MO. That's the joke. Uh, well, listen, I don't know. We found a lot about hot air balloons, specifically the size of one. How many gallons? Yeah, I was trying. I was like typing, typing, typing. I was like, oh, okay, now I'm just gonna let it go. I can't. I can't keep tracking everything he's saying right now. Seems like uh, his cover story is pretty good, though. Yeah, I mean, well, that's also, he might just do the thing of, like, that typical BSers do of, like, just throw out a bunch of facts and figures and, like, hope that nobody fact-checks it. I mean, as much as they might have a computer down there, they're not consulting, I don't know, like, Encarta or whatever they, Netscape, whatever they'd be using back in the <laughs> 70s on that computer yeah. to see exactly what the size of a typical hot air I don't think they be. were using Netscape in the 1970s. <laughs> But maybe, I don't know. Maybe, like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's a, a thing that Alvar Hanso had, like, the initial oh, prototype of Netscape. And he just, it couldn't escape the island. That was the incident. Interesting. All right. Well, we are, we're. Well, and I think Henry Gale was trying to Netscape this episode. Yes. Yes, he was. And he succeeded uh, with an assist from Saeed. Uh, of course, we are talking about the artist formerly known as Henry Gale, Benjamin Linus, making his lost debut, Michael Emerson in the house. Uh, a few words that make no sense if you are watching Lost on your first run and you're listening to this podcast as if you don't already know. This is the spoiler podcast, Lost on the Hatch. We talk about Lost from the perspective of people who've seen the whole show. So if that's not you, get out of here. Dangerous spoilers lie ahead, and that's the filibuster. This is it, Mike. Um, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Uh, we have somehow managed to uh, fill our lungs and our listeners' ears with hot air for uh, you know two seasons and a half now with barely mentioning the words Benjamin Linus. And now I don't know that we are going to go very far without ever mentioning Benjamin Linus again. Uh, the mm-hmm. podcast and Lost both take an enormous irreversible change, uh, of course, here with the arrival of Henry Gale and his hot air balloon in the terrific Saeed Jarrah season two flashback episode, one of them. Yeah, this definitely 
feels like the start of a definitive era. Not to get too far ahead to the season two feedback show where I'm going to try to parse this season out into sections. But, I mean, this is going to take place basically until probably, like, I don't know, episode 21 or 22, where now we have this guy in the hatch who may or may not be an other. And, man, they have very, very fertile ground, uh, Darleton does, being able to really have the, both the 815 and the viewers wrap their minds around, okay, maybe he's one, maybe he's not one. This is definitely one of the mysteries of the show that I felt was extremely well pulled off in terms of both quality and mystery, where I definitely felt like at the time, and including in this first episode, my mind wavered between whether or not he was an other or yeah. tried and true Henry Gale from Minnesota. I'd say by the scene, occasionally by like the line read. Yeah, and I think that a big piece of this is why I think this is a big piece of why Michael Emerson as Henry Gale becomes Benjamin Linus. Um, because mm-hmm. the invention of the character, according to Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, who are the writers of this episode, in addition, of course, to being the showrunners. Um, repeatedly mentioned during this era, uh, during like the Lost podcast and everything that they were doing back in the day, that the question of whether or not this man is another should be as compelling as the answer. Um, and that only works if the object of that question is compelling himself. And Michael Emerson is one of the truly great actors that comes across the Lost cast, which says a lot. Yeah, one of of the only two, I believe, to win. Is that correct? It's him and Terry O'Quinn? I believe they're the only two to win specifically for Lost. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. I know that there were people who were nominated before, maybe guest stars along the way. I wonder, uh, the Ben behind the curtain and everyone else who's listening, you can fact check us. We're not going to do that live here. Certainly, we know Ma- Michael Emerson will win an Emmy for this role, and it's deeply deserved. Uh, he's just so great. You don't know like whether to feel bad for him sometimes or whether to get like seriously deep sinister douche vibes from this dude right like you just don't know and i remember in the watching of it having so many debates with with i i constantly you know refer to to my college crew that i watched this show with that the living room debates the water cooler discussion was hot about who is this guy is he who he says he is how long is he going to be around for Lost just pulls this off so well, the Henry Gale arc, to the point that when he's revealed at the end of the season to not just be an other, but like seemingly the leader of the others, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, okay, so his name probably isn't Henry Gale, and I have no idea how I'm ever going to think of him as anybody but Henry Gale. It's just such an iconic name, obviously, owing from Wizard of Oz, Um, and like I just can't, can't stop thinking about him as... Henry, uh, and to make the turn towards Benry, right? You know, to like a, a, a yeah, a real dirt squirrel here, a, like a real a, a stopover at least at Benry before I can move on to full Benjamin Linus. Um, that now he's just Ben, and it's it, it's you know everybody knows him. This is Ben. This is Ben Linus. This is one of the most complicated characters in all of Lost. Uh, somebody who is on many a Mount Rushmore for people in terms of their Lost characters is this guy, uh, and fairly so, I believe. Um, I'm glad I'm not being asked to make my own Mount Rushmore because that would be hard. Um, it's just, it's just, it, it wouldn't have worked if Michael Emerson couldn't do exactly what you're describing is scene to scene, moment to moment. You are guessing, you, your mind is changing on who he is, uh, and eventually when we do get the answer, that heel turn 
paves the way for everything else that we get. Um, you know, when yeah. you think about Ben, you think about the stuff from season three and beyond mostly. And it's so crazy that you kind of forget the opening arc with this character. The opening arc with this character may come in the form of some episodes that will probably score like low to mid range for us, uh, would be mm-hmm. my guess without looking ahead at what those episodes are. But every moment that we're going to get with him is going to be such a meal, such a treat. And this opening hour of the of the Henry Gale arc is is a personal favorite of mine for sure. Very, very excited yeah. to chew on it. I agree. I think that this, not to besmirch too much of season two, because I think we've actually been pretty mid to high on season two so far with the exception of a couple of episodes. But I feel like this was the shot in the arm that Lost really needed. It was like something to really focus around because now we get to see how each of the characters comes into conflict with quote-unquote Henry Gale. And I know that this episode, they really try to insist, like, nobody else is going to find out about him. That's clearly not going to be the case. And so the interesting thing about this character, and I would say almost reflective of the audience as well, to the point about your college crew, is the way people react to this character and what they think he is, is even not so much reflective of the performance that Ben slash Michael Emerson is putting forward, but more so about the people that are doing the reflecting. Yeah. And from that capacity, it's almost like a hatch within a hatch, right? So it's, a, it's that funhouse mirror where, because, for example, because Jack is a naturally good-hearted person who wants to trust, because uh, he wants to reach out to people and connect with them on an emotional level, he is going to immediately assume that, why would he lie? Obviously, this guy is who he says he is, Put on the other side of there, someone like John Locke, who is very incredulous of humanity and the human spirit and got betrayed firsthand by someone who just needlessly lied to him over and over again. So, of course, he's going to believe that he's lying to him. And so I really like examining how these characters react in the latter part of season two to the character of Henry Gale, whether it's that, whether it's Michael using him just as a tool to get what he wants, whether it's Anna Lucia being able to see the face of the people who brutalized, you know, her people on the beach all the way back in the day. It's a really, really great piece of season two that I think is done extremely well. To your point, I think we'll have a lot to say, a lot of mixed responses about the episodes coming up in the next batch, but I would say any scenes with Ben Linus slash Henry Gale are always going to be a highlight of the episode, in my yeah. opinion. We talked in the, at the start of the season about this idea from the writers that the hatch was hell, right? That, like, they've gone to hell. This is, like, going to bring out the worst in them, the dark sides of them. Uh, it's going to make them come into conflict with so much of the things that, uh, that horrify them about themselves, about life, what have you, that this is one of the deeper circles of hell on the island. Well, here comes the devil, Right, you know, or, or and right, and right now he's he's frozen in ice, much like he was in Dante's Inferno, right? But like, well, how are you going to handle the devil? That's what it is, and who's going to be Orpheus and try to make their way out of Hades? I know I'm mixing my metaphors and uh, mythologies there, but uh, yeah, you're totally right. He's he's Satan incarnate, but he's assuming the form of a of an angel. Yeah, it's it's really really fun stuff. Uh, a demon has arrived here in one of them, uh, and I love that we get it through the perspective of Saeed, the truth teller, who leaves the episode mm-hmm. with a very specific feeling about who this guy is, and he's right. But the yep. but the the show still wants us to wonder. Uh, so I think that the way that they launch us into this mystery is just really really excellent. Uh, great job by Lindelof and Cuse who write this episode. It's directed by Stephen Williams, veteran director here on Lost. Originally aired February fifteenth, two thousand six. Uh, so smack dab in the middle of Valentine's Day and my wife Emily Fox's birthday. 
Oh, perfect. What do you think uh, Emily was doing to celebrate her birthday at the time in 2006? Well, she was dating somebody else, so I don't want to think about it. Oh, no. No, don't worry about the other man. We'll the other man <laughs> he was one of them. Episode. One of them. Um, all right, so we're going to get into it. Of course, we've got feedback to get into later on. You can always send that to us down the hatch at pushorecaps.com is our email address, plus our Twitters, uh, at pusherrecaps for the Pusher Recaps account. I'm at Rand Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, he does not exist in the actual series Bible, but we have the Down the Hatch series Bible that we are falsifying here along the way. Uh, so let's talk about him. Henry Gale. This is from the... So now the question is, is this Ben Linus is Henry Gale? Or are we talking about like the real Henry Gale that Saeed is going to find his driver's license? I don't know. Well, listen to the description and you tell me. You ready? This is from the Ben Behind the Curtain. Originally from Minnesota... Henry Gale is a hot air balloon enthusiast with a dark streak. A wealthy man, Henry spent years looking for the island after hearing about it from his business mentor, Charles Widmore. Once he found it, he quickly rose through the ranks of the others, ultimately emerging as their leader. Henry's enigmatic nature will have our losties paranoid over whether he's an other or simply another unfortunate island inhabitant. But when Henry tries to bribe some Brazilian 815s with a bag of diamonds, things begin to spiral out of control, and the losties quickly realize that Henry will use any means necessary to escape, even murder. So, yeah, so uh, this is all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very excited to get to Nikki and Paolo because apparently, according to the series Bible, they're both Brazilian. Yeah, yeah so uh, lots of questions to be had here. I think what, what we can say about that is it is uh, as all over the map and full of lies, Paolo lies, as, uh, as Benjamin Linus as Henry Gale himself. Oh, my God. Did Benjamin Linus write the series Bible? It's, not, it's possible, right? I can imagine the scenario where that's the case. Um, but we're going to get into so many different lies from, from Ben, uh, from Henry. Are we going to be calling him Ben? Or are we going to be calling him Henry? Or are we going to be switching back and forth depending on... I think that that might be the thing, too, right? Because like, he, yeah. he's such a specific character right now. But we also have to look at him from that deeper level of this is Ben putting on an act. Um, but he's so convincing that even I've, I've watched Lost like eight times through and I sometimes still don't know. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we might want to go with Ben just as shorthand because otherwise it's just going to be very confusing. Unless we feel like there's a Smeagol Gollum thing going on where maybe Ben got too deep into the role of Henry Dale and like Henry takes over. Yeah, it's point. possible. We'll see. All right. Uh, let's get into it. This is a Saeed flashback, and it begins that way. It begins with a flashback to Saeed's time at war, um, where he's based. He's being bombed alongside the rest of his soldiers. There's the commanding officer, Tariq, uh, who uh, is ordering his men to shred documents. He says, keep shredding, you cowards, which is uh, what we said to Drive Shaft after they disbanded. Uh, we were very upset that they stopped shredding. Um, here comes Theo Rossi, Juice, from Sons of Anarchy. Uh, sometimes I forget that he has a brief blink-and-you'll-miss-it role on Lost. I know you're not a Sam Crow guy, Mike. Um, but the sergeant... Yeah, ba- barely a Sam Blackburn. The, the, the sergeant here, uh, Sergeant Buccelli, is played by Theo Rossi, who plays Juice on Sons of Anarchy. A very juicy role indeed. A very important character in that mythology. And he has a very unimportant role here. But it just cracks me up that he's just randomly showing up here 
on Lost, uh, and he's gonna he's gonna shoot a bunch of people who are not listening to to him and his fellow soldiers who are still shredding documents because they don't understand English. And he says, "Does anyone speak English? Tell those people what's going on. Otherwise, we're going to shoot them to bits." And Syed finally. And then, and then actually, uh, if you watch the widescreen version, Sun is actually in the corner, <laughs> and she decides not to speak yeah. up, though she probably should. She have. probably should have. Uh, Said speaks English, uh, and uh, he asks if he's in charge. He says, "There's no commanding officer here." And Juice from Sons of Anarchy says, "Your English is good, Abdul, but you're lying, and that ain't so good." And that's a bad line. Uh, it's just not a, not a great line, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's like accurate to the situation to some degree. Well, but it's so, so interesting though, because Abdul was one of the nicknames that Sawyer gave. That's right. So it's almost like a sign like Saeed's just been getting so much guff from white guys, basically his entire life. And And by guff, we mean racism. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a rough translation. So this, we assume this is not during the 2003 occupation of Iraq, right? We assume this is during, like, Operation Desert Storm. Yeah, because he's, I think he's 23, he's going to say later on, right? Like, at the end of the episode, he's in his early yeah. 20s, at least. Um, yeah, and we, and we see it with that nice little, nice little, like, bouffant short do on Saeed. Yeah, you can tell that this is young Saeed because of the short hair. Here we are on Wig Watch. Uh, how does the short hair look on Saeed? I think fine. I think, I think he pulls it I off. I think he pulls it off. I think what's impressive to me even more so is... I think Naveen Andrews turns in um, maybe a series best performance up to this point is possible um, and is so convincingly young. You know, like he's just very mm-hmm. youthful in the flashbacks. Uh, there is something like this is a guy who has seen terrible things so far, but hasn't maybe lived long enough yet to contextualize them, to compare them to other hurts he is going to feel, uh, to have the wisdom of a life lived in regret and, and misery beyond these moments. There's not that level of weariness to him yet. There is still a bit of an innocence to him in the flashbacks here um, that I find so compelling in the portrayal. Uh, And I think that that goes beyond any kind of shoddy wig work that's going on. (laughs) Well, and that, but it also has DNA of who Saeed becomes. I mean, even comparing, just to preface this, I'm going to do a lot of comparison between one of them and Solitary. Just like, ironically enough, we're going to do a lot. We did a lot of comparisons between the long con and, and confidence, man. It's very weird that these two episodes come after one another in both cases. Maybe they're going for some symmetry there. But I saw a big through line in, you know, the way Saeed sort of has this big hearted, wide eyed look at his time in the Republican Guard in the flashback scenes of one of them. And how he approaches the romanticism with Nadia in Solitary. It shows that even though at that point Saeed has become a, a well-worn torturer. Right. And, you know, has really, uh, we saw the beginning of his career. Now he's sort of like in the middle of it before he gets on Oceanic 815. There is still a part of him that is still inherently Saeed. Which also makes the on-island stuff really interesting as well. Because Saeed is doing these very cruel things. And now we get to see where previously he tortured Sawyer and exiled himself because of it. Now he is torturing someone, and as much as he wants to deny it to Locke, it has to be at least a little emotionally invested in the person that he loves. Yeah, absolutely that. Um, And I think it's going to be compelling to watch, like, what level of guilt does he feel over what he does to Ben? Because he doesn't feel much, because this time he knows. Uh, This is different. Uh, and that's the human lie detector coming out inside Jarrah. Can't wait to talk about all of that. Um, as the flashback continues, we see uh, we see Kate's dad 
Hey, Sam Austin. What's up, Sam Austin? How you doing, Papa? Uh, Papa Kate. Uh, Kate's dad is here. Uh, and it's just another way that everything's crossing over, man. And in case you miss it later on, uh, they're like, just in case you did get it, here's he's got a photo of Kate. So this is Kate's dad. To be fair, I mean, I think had you not been able to at that time like freeze frame it and see Austin, yeah, like if you didn't the, have access form. to Netscape and you couldn't Netscape exactly. It for well, and, and I think also like you know he's wearing a helmet the entire time. I think it's always tough to recognize sure. people without getting a full sense of their head. Uh, so, but maybe that's why superheroes are able to do so well despite only wearing like the briefest of robber masks, is because everyone remembers them by their full face. So it's a fun connection, I guess. If we're matching this up with the Kate timeline, this is not. Yeah, Kate obviously has not. Oh run no, away no, no, no! She looks like she has, looks like a kid, right? Like in the picture that right. that we see of her, she looks like a teenager. But this is probably after he made the proposition to Diane Austin to take Kate, and Diane refused. Yeah, I think that that sounds right. I think that sounds right. Um, but he's going to team up with with Saeed and basically say, "We need a translator. Are you going to be able to 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 do this for us?" And Saeed busts out the word "formerly." Oh. And uh, Kate's dad's like, oh, if you know what formerly means, then we're good. <laughs> it's funny. He's like, yeah, he is showing his cards. That, like, his English is great. His English is great. Yeah. So it's very smart. Um, and they're like, uh, what do you know about this guy, Tariq? He's like, oh, yeah, Tariq. Yeah, he was our boss. He's not here, though. Like, he 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 cheesed it. He went to Hila. Yeah, and, uh, and then Kate's dad's like, oh, well, welcome to Hila. And they open the door, and there's Tariq. So uh, that's going to be the thrust of the episode is, like, Saeed v. Tariq. On behalf of Uncle Sam, uh, Uncle Sam Austin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want I want you to not run away. Kate. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> so that's what's going on with all of that. Meanwhile, on the island, a much more weathered Saijira washing his face. I like the little uh, face bath from Saijira here. Yeah, it's the little basin, right? It's the one that they sort of, they use the trash bags to collect the water that Jack will occasionally fill up. And or is there a different one? Is there sort of like... I would hope so, for sanitary like, sake. Yeah, this has to be the right. sink basin. It's like the the light shower basin. Um, he's he's washing off, and here comes Ana Lucia. It's like, oh, a, a long-awaited Ana Lucia and Saeed interaction. This doesn't happen all that often anymore. Uh, yeah, what if Ana Lucia was like, can you help me on my shelter? I'm still working on yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, I really need some help with this. Please. Um, but they act very cordially for the most part. She's she needs Jack, and he goes, "Why?" Because Saidas has been proven in Fire Plus Water, even though he's in mourning, even though he is, uh, you know, grief stricken, he still is very quick to action. Beach is on fire; yeah. he's going to put it out. And so, like, she comes rushing out. Where's Jack? And he can sense something's amiss in the jungle. I can handle that. Point me in the right direction. Yeah, and you and you can also. I mean, there is still. I think, even though it's been. Uh, you know, six episodes at this point. I think there is probably still some residual tension from Collision, right? Like, you know, they did see eye to eye a bit, and it did let him go, and he didn't attack her. But at the same time, I'm assuming every time he looks in the face of Anna Lucia, he looks in the face of Shot Chan. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, like, he's trying to move on because he knows it's an accident, uh, but it's not going quickly, and that's totally fine. Uh, but she leads him into the jungle, and there she is. Rousseau is walking along. Uh, and Saeed's going to turn back to Anna Lucia. Go back, Anna Lucia. Do not tell anyone what you saw. Uh, Going back. (laughs) Coming back out. Uh, So she goes away. We don't see Anna Lucia, so I guess we could just assume that, yes, she kept it quiet. Yeah, so why do you think he specifically told her to keep quiet? Was it because, like... When you you get involved in things, my friends get killed. Don't get involved in this. Go away. Keep it locked down. Stay out of this. 
Well, I also wonder if Rousseau is sort of like persona non grata among 815 right now. He's going to bring up to her later on, like, hey, last time we saw you, uh, you kidnapped a baby and said the others were coming when they weren't. Yeah. And again, he still is under the belief that, you know, she was lying when maybe it, it was just because she had m- misheard them and they were speaking about Walt. So I could also imagine how he didn't want to sick an angry mob onto her if Anna Lucia told everybody that, hey, Danielle Rousseau's here. Yeah, so he goes up to Danielle. What are you doing here, Danielle? She's looking for you. Uh, and they go on for a little bit of a walk, and she's going to explain herself a little bit more about what they're getting into. Let's listen in with sound number one. Where are we going? You said you were looking for me. What was your plan? To hide in the woods? Hoping I would pass you by? I was going to wait until dark, then find you at your tent. Why? We need to keep moving. Not until you tell me where we're moving to. Trust me. The last time we met, you arrived to warn us the others were coming, which they weren't. In fact, it was a diversion to kidnap Claire's baby. So pardon me for not trusting you. This place I'm taking you to, there is something that will help you. Something important. for trust. Take this. If I'm lying, it's yours to use. How much further? I love the callback. He gets the rifle from mm-hmm. her. He's had one of her rifles in his possession before. Yeah. This time he's like, firing pin in here? Let's just double check that real quick. Yeah. Because if it's exactly. not and you distract me, I'm also very ready to just like jump kick you and, you know, kick you with my legs and break your neck with my legs as I often do to people. Like, Syed's ready to go here. He's not taking any chances here. Uh, love that. Love that little interaction. Very, very, yeah, very well, good. Good. Uh, not enough Rousseau in this episode, but the amount of Rousseau we get, very, very high quality Rousseau. Yeah, we should also mention first Russo appearance of season two. A little crazy that uh, she's appeared more than halfway through the season. Of course, this will sort of be a one-two punch of a bit as she'll have a much more prominent role next episode. I think one of the things they also wanted to do, like we spoke about last episode and in countless other podcasts, is sometimes Lost likes to sort of reintroduce or introduce a character the episode before they're really important. Yep just so it doesn't come out of nowhere. So I could really see that segueing into maternity leave. But it's also a great examination of the Saeed Rousseau relationship, which, as you just mentioned, was built out really, really well and dramatically in solitary. And we saw it briefly with Saeed going after Rousseau and confronting her on the beach. But this is a small but very packed opportunity for the two of them to sort of check back in with one another uh, and, you know, how uh, Rousseau was specifically looking at looking out for Saeed in particular because she knew this is this a is big the guy. Thing, this not- is the guy. She trusts him. They, they had exactly. history. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go for anybody else. Right. I'm going specifically for Saeed. And even, you know, when she comes back in, uh, in Exodus, right, she said she was looking for Saeed, too. Yeah. So, you know, that's her guy. That's her boy. She's going for Saeed. She touched his face. She was so sorry. And now she wants to talk to him again. Uh, meanwhile, flashback time. Saeed is asking Tariq about the pilot. He says, where's the pilot? 
Uh, what he up in a tree somewhere? Yeah, <laughs> skewered by the monster. Uh, yeah, where's the pilot? Is what uh, Uncle Sam wants Saeed to ask Tariq, and Tariq responds by saying, "Tell him his mother is a goat, the greatest of all time." What a compliment! Wow, who knew Kate had such a great grandmother? Yeah, all right. I mean, not a great. She also has a great grandmother, but a very <laughs> sublime grandmother. All the best cowboys have great grandmas. I don't know. We got to work. On- <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds like the. <laughs> <laughs> we got to work on the title. All the best grannies uh, could be the new one. Uh, we could throw that in alongside all the best daddies. Yeah, uh, but so Saeed's tr- definitely trying to. If we're using survivor parlance here, he's definitely playing both sides here, right? Like he's definitely trying to keep. Tariq, you know, he has a relationship with him and he doesn't want to betray his commanding officer. So he's sort of misinterpreting or uh, I would say definitely dressing up some of the things that Tariq is saying. I love the lighting in this scene. And I haven't noticed it in the times I've seen it, but, you know, they have this basic interrogation single desk lamp. But the way it plays with the shadows on the wall, you see that Saeed has a much bigger shadow than Uncle Sam because of just their proximity to the lamp. But it's also so representative because it shows how much more power Saeed has over Austin in this in this scene in particular where Saeed is the one working between these two parties he is the one that's able to you know bungle any message he wants to give off any message that he wants to Uh, and evidently you know Tariq is giving him a message as well saying that Saeed is a disgrace and he wants them to steal Uncle Sam's gun and kill as many people as possible before he dies yeah this is a great episode for a lot of reasons one of which is it's shot really well um, it is. The cinematography is it, really, it, really It's well done. beautiful. Over at postshowrecaps.com, if that's how you access these podcasts, you'll see that our, our cover image for this uh, post is that one shot of Saeed on the side of the road as uh, Inman's driving away, and there's just smoke billowing in the background. And it's just so, so cool. It's so unlike anything you ever see on Lost. Um, there's just a lot of really, really great work done in this episode. It's a really great episode. Um, so yeah, he's, you're right. Like he's trying to play both sides. I think a part of it too is like, he's really in over his head. This is probably among the more intense things Saeed has ever had to deal with up to this point in his life. Uh, and this guy is literally saying, you're a disgrace. Uh, you're a soldier. You're an Iraqi soldier. Take that man's gun, kill them all, grab the gun on his belt. You can get a few of them killed before you get killed. And Saeed's like trying not to say to like uncle Sam, like, yeah, so he's 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 telling me to take your gun and get myself killed and kill all of you. Uh, and he doesn't translate it exactly, but Uncle Sam says, I was born, but I wasn't born yesterday. That's a real dad line there. Yeah, what do we call him? Should we call him, like, uh, I don't know, Iowa Sam? No. Is that like the... I was born last night, but I wasn't born tonight. Yeah, he's he's wait, no, that's not the phrase. Yeah, he's uncle, he's Uncle Sam. He's Uncle Sam. It's that's what your uncle. Uh, that's the joke your your uncle says at Thanksgiving. Well, right. I was and born, I it, but I wasn't born yesterday. I also like that you have to proceed it with "I was born." Like it's the most definitive statement ever. I'm here. Yes, I have been born. It's not my favorite I, turn of phrase. Yeah, it's like I was born. It's like yeah, clearly. Yeah, you're here right now, unless you're a ghost. Uh, but uh, I believe that that was almost the title for uh, it was "Born to Run, but wasn't born yesterday." Uh, was going to be the name of the episode last season. Mm, that, if they had a Sam Austin cameo, I think that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, I believe that would be in the line exactly. But Sam Austin is trying to play a little bit of like good cop here. We'll find out bad cop much further down the line. But he's definitely like, hey. You know, uh, you, listen, I'm I'm treating you pretty nice here. You don't want to get you want to get anyone else in here because, man, they are just going to be an ass to you. And Saeed doesn't really care at this point because, again, he's still trying to 
really, you know, this is like you said, this is a situation that he's never been in before. I can't imagine how many times he's been captured by American forces and asked to sell out one of his own. Before. I would guess and never. So, I would guess this is the yeah. first. Especially at the age of 23. Yeah. And so uh, this is clearly a situation where he is struggling to get his footing. And I think Sam Austin is both sensing that, but also kind of taking advantage of it. And that you could also imagine that maybe one of the reasons why they end up scouting out Saeed is because he is somebody that probably looks a little bit nubile and someone who could easily be manipulated. Uh, I think also uh, it's just like there is this piece of it where like, if we if we buy that Kate's father, that Sam is like a decent dude, like he is like, you know, it's wartime, bad shit's going down. But he's trying to tell Sidus, like, look, we need to get this information. We need to find out where this pilot is. I'd like for you to be able to do it if you can do it, because if you can't do it, I have to call in a guy who is like really scary and like isn't going to want to do this a nice way. Uh, so if like you if you can do this and like if you could spare your friend a few fingers, uh, that would be great. Uh, so that's what they're going for, and obviously it's not going to work. He says, you had your chance. Uh, we go back to the island, and a storyline begins, and we're just going to listen to the start of the storyline as the only sound from this storyline we will hear in this uh, podcast. But play it, Mike. Let's hear it. Believe now, I think I, coming from I, I, is that from your equipment, Josh? I think last week you talked about the scorpion and the frog. It turns out this is the the scorpion and the frog this week. Uh, yeah, so this is the episode where the frog thing happens. Remember that frog smash? Yeah, I mean, I would say I didn't, which was why last week we were really so over the moon and be like, "Wow, they really developed Sawyer's character. Like, they're really not." Yep. Uh, having him go back to season one. Sawyer. Yeah, we talked well, about how Sawyer was very progressive, and then we had a progressive ad read, and we'll have another one midway <laughs> through this episode as well, rather than regressive. And we were very excited about all of that, and how I was afraid that Long Con was gonna gonna really undo a lot of what they're doing with the character work on Sawyer. And revisiting the episode made me feel the exact opposite. But this is just over the top. This is the, everything with the frog is really, really stupid. It's really bad. It introduces the whole like Hurley's hoarding food thing, which is not like, listen, as somebody who has like been a food hoarder before, like again, resonant. This makes sense. As somebody who struggles with their weight, who struggles with how they eat, I've definitely had very awkward moments where my wife has caught me like eating secret cookies and stuff. And it's always super uncomfortable and very, very awkward. So <laughs> I deeply relate to what Hurley is going through here. And I think anybody who struggles with their weight probably like feels this very painfully. But I just don't know that the show needed to go here. I don't know that yep. the show ever goes here with nuance. I don't think that it really does. I don't really love it. I think it's just a pretty lazy storyline of uh, even as Hurley's going to go on to say it a little bit like i get it i'm the fat guy fat 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 yeah like it's like i know this doesn't have to be a piece of the character in this big of a way uh so there's that aspect to it and then it's just like this is all just going to be the journey of sawyer crushing a frog in his hand to just further prove that he's become like a super douche again it just doesn't feel right it just feels stupid it feels dumb and it's in it's it's a bad b plot in what is otherwise a really riveting episode of the show and i think that it's such a bad plot 
that it prevents what would otherwise be to me a perfect episode of Lost. Uh, it has a it has a big uh, frog splotch on it that you can't ignore. Uh, we'll see how much that dings it when we do our accounting of the episode, but it prevents it from being a full four point two for me for sure. It's a terrible follow up to the long con. We long con. We spent so much time pouring around how complicated and impressive a character Sawyer was and where his motivations were coming from when he did decide to, you know, take off with the guns. And this just takes that nuance and just squashes it in their hands, where it's like, yeah, we're going to have Sawyer be an asshole and kill animals. Uh, And this is definitely, I think, maybe more so when people think about season two Sawyer, this is more so what they remember, which isn't great. Uh, And it's weird. I don't know why Darleton felt like this needed to happen in an episode that is so rich and full of so much exciting stuff while they felt like this particular B-plot needed to happen. Because like you said, like it's trite. They're even lampshading that. It doesn't show either one of the two characters involved in a very good light. It paints them with a very, very broad brush. It's just definitely one of the more sloppily done B-stories we've encountered in quite a long time. It's very bad. This is like a a scrapped idea from the series Bible level bad. You know, it's just not very good. Anyway, we'll go through it very fast. I don't want to spend much time on it. Uh, There's the frog. (laughs) <laughs> it's making a lot of noise, and Sawyer's mad. Uh, he wants Jin to help him find it. Jin's ignoring Sawyer. He doesn't want to talk to Sawyer. Yeah, and, and why does Sawyer think, considering he made this big bad speech about, like, there's a new sheriff in town, and he basically confirms to Kate, like, I want everyone to hate me. Why does he think that Jin is going to be like, oh, but Jin, maybe, you're, you're my good buddy. Maybe he hoped that uh, Jin wouldn't understand. That he, he yeah, I mean, but, I mean, she has her own. He has his own Saeed <laughs> there. He has his own translator. I guess, I so guess. I just don't understand why that. Like again, maybe this is just it's a small bit that speaks a lot to how I think they mishandled Sawyer in this episode of having him believe. Oh yeah, I don't understand why nobody's helping me. It's not like I barged to the camp with a gun over my shoulder right. saying that I'm going to be in charge of everything now and how stupid everyone. Anyway, is. Jin ignores him. Sawyer goes in the woods. He finds Hurley. Hurley's eating snacks. He's got ranch. He's eating chips with ranch. He's got some ranch on his chin. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You're supposed to refrigerate it. He's not refrigerating it. I guess the Dharma Ranch can keep it room temp at, for seven years. It's pretty that's, nice. That's not sound No, good. I would not. There's got to be yeah. something in there. Yeah, I imagine something festering for sure. Uh, Festa! Uh, so Hurley's going to get recruited into Sawyer's frog mission. He says, if you, if you help me find the frog, because you've seen the frog, if you help me find the frog, I won't tell anyone that you've been ranch dipping behind everybody's back. So there goes a, a B-plot. Off into the woods. And I but love these characters a, together. I just, I really dislike this whole storyline. It's just so interesting that, uh, you know, Hurley's like, oh yeah, I saw the frog. It could be a frog. Like, you don't know that this is the particular frog. I will say the one interesting thing is that uh, the frog seems to be following Sawyer. Like, it never gets louder or quieter. It's the same volume, so it really does feel like this thing is out to bother him. But then it also reminds me how how outlaws did this in a much 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 better better way much better way at least the frog could have peed on sawyer's stuff but that's not what ends up happening um all right so back to saeed and rousseau uh they get to this point in the jungle she like pulls some things out of like behind a tree trunk uh it starts like assembling what looks like the pole that you have to create to get the hidden immunity idol out of the tree in survivor korang uh Uh, you have to has to be long enough and strong enough yes uh so she's putting that together when suddenly, help! Help me! You're hearing calls for help from deep into the jungle. Uh, and Side looks off uh, and she tells him, we've got a man. We've got a man in the net. Uh, we cut to commercial. And when we come back, this is what occurs. Help me! 
Don't believe a word she says. It's one of them. I have no idea what she's talking about. She's crazy. How long has he been up there? Since last night. Please just cut me down. My name is Henry Gale. I'm from Minnesota. Please. He's lying. I'm going to cut him down. Don't. Thank you. You're making a serious mistake. It's okay. It's okay. You're right. You're right. Hold on. Take it easy. Wait! Danielle! Don't! All right, so I want to do something here, Mike. Before we before we start getting into the specifics of this scene, I don't want mm-hmm. to forget that this is something I want to do. I think we should rank uh, the 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 Benjamin Linus beatdowns. The BL Ooh. the BLB meter, I think, should be put into effect here <laughs> as a new element of down the hatch. I don't know how to do it. Do we want to like have people submit? their rankings of all of the individual times that Ben gets his ass handed to him? Or do we want to mm. just count how many times he gets his ass handed to him? I, I think like we've been sort of doing with the dudes, uh, uh, yeah, with the dudes or just like unconsciously with a uh, power ranking Kate's aliases. I think this could be like a running tally yeah. that we have. And I mean, we're going to have two we can rank here uh, because yeah, for those of you that might not remember the episode and wondered what the heck was the last 10 seconds, Ben attempts to run away after Saeed cuts him down. Daniel Rousseau shoots him through, not into, through the shoulder with a freaking crossbow. Yeah, so I'm going to create the BLB counter right now. This will just be a running tally. Let's make sure that we're keeping this up. And we'll do it in sequential order from, uh, you know, the, the way we see it in Lost. And then maybe if we want, we can try to chronologically retrofit it at a certain point in time. Uh, because certainly his beatdowns pre-exist this moment in terms of the timeline. But yeah, Daniel... Danielle shoots him in the chest with a makeshift bow and arrow, makeshift crossbow, basically a harpoon. Yeah, she harpoons Benjamin Linus in the very first Benjamin Linus scene. Uh, it's just, it is such, in many ways, this is such a fully formed rival. Everything that you love about Ben Linus is happening here. He's being like a skeevy little scumbag. He's lying through his teeth, and he's getting the (laughs) shit kicked out of him. It's everything that you ever want from Ben. This is checks all the boxes. Checks all the boxes. So it's just it's a perfect arrival for Ben. Ben's first scene on Lost, I would put right up there as one of the very best first scenes for any character. And it's so even before we get to the scene itself, you mentioned like the pre uh, the the pre cut the pre scene break. Uh, reveal and I love the initial reveal because you can barely see this new person caught in the net and how symbolic is that of Henry Gale as, as a character right right this person that like we don't know as much as he might try to give his entire life story to these people we don't know him at the end of the day he still is this mysterious man the man behind the curtain as it were but I love this because especially in retrospect Danielle Rousseau is such a hard ass in this scene but it's so deservedly so. Because not only 
is this, you know, the guy or a guy from the others. This is the guy from the others that snuck into her camp and took her child. I guess the question is, did Rousseau... Does she remember? Does she recognize him? If if so, you would think she would have had her own sort of street justice against... Uh, well, and, and then maybe that's why she approached things. But maybe she also would have helped save a bunch of headaches for people by being like, this is the guy. He snuck into my tent and stole my baby instead of her just being continually, ambiguously adamant about like, no, he's one of them. No, he's one of them. She's right, but if she had actually recognized his face, she could have actual experiential evidence to to really support that. Point. How many things change if Saeed listens to Rousseau here when she says, you're making a big mistake, don't cut him down, and Saeed takes a beat and goes, all right, let's leave him hanging here in the tree. We know that Ben, and as a refresher, because maybe people don't remember this, What's going to get retconned as far as why Ben is out and about and is going to wind up in the hatch is he wants to get caught. He wants to come to Jack because he has a tumor on his spine and he wants the spinal surgeon to perform surgery on him. We'll get the the full scope of that um, early on in season three and and clarified even more in expose. Um, so let's say they keep him in the net. What happens? Do the others just eventually come along and clip him down? Does he find some way to weasel his way out of the net because it's just not working the way he wants it to? Does a lot actually change if Saeed doesn't bring Ben to the to the to the hatch? I would counter that if Saeed doesn't cut him down, I think Jack does. Uh, I think Mister I'm amassing an army, as good-hearted as he may be, I think would see an opportunity to take a hostage. And, or take a POW and interrogate him. So I would not be surprised if he ended up in the exact same position that he does at the end of this episode. Because I feel like he's too valuable a commodity to use if you're trying to face off against the other. That's assuming that Jack knows about him. Uh, given the way that this episode plays out, Saeed's going to bring Ben to the, to the hatch, and he's going to talk to Locke first. And he's really not going to talk to Jack until Jack has to be brought into it. Uh, right, is, there, Rousseau, is, there, is there a world where Rousseau brings Ben to Saeed, says, do what you will with him, and Saeed goes to Locke and says, this has to be an outside-of-the-hatch deal. This is like finding the hatch. This is like finding the hatch in the ground, and we need to keep a really tight circle on this. The only thing would be, and you play this in the intro clip, that Rousseau tells Saeed, go tell Jack. Right. And look, like you said, she's... Uh, she's takes him off her hand, so she is not exactly proposing that. But, I mean, I think the information is going to come out to Jack eventually. Uh, and I think that at that point, then he really decides what to do. But, I mean, to your point... Cause if he doesn't, so if he doesn't cut him down, though, he doesn't get shot with the harpoon and doesn't need to go to the doctor anyway. So Exactly. Uh, that's the other thing as well. So, obviously, going this through the lens of this being one... It's just a sliding con, doors moment, you know? Who knows? Do you... Well, that, to that point, like, Ben's plan to, okay, I'm going to run away. Do you think he anticipated getting shot with a crossbow? And if so... Damn, he's a good at commitment. I, you know what? You know? I kind of think he probably figures that might happen. <laughs> like, I think he might figure, like, I'm probably going to suffer a lot of abuse on this mission. Uh, ben, no stranger to the beatdown. He takes a lot of punishment across Lost, and he does it with a pretty good attitude about it. Uh, so for him to, to know that he's going to get, like, shot in the shoulder at least... Uh, that may be just like him as a betting man, right? That may be just him as like, that's a cost of doing business. It's going to get me a face-to-face with the doctor, and that's the guy I need to see. <laughs> I just, it's a speedy I, I, way to get a doctor's appointment, I guess. Yeah, well, from a comic perspective, I would more so like him to be surprised by it, just because of like the pure terror of like, oh my god, 
Oh no! Oh my! Oh, I thought she was gonna like get throw a, throw one of the bolas at yeah. me like we do sometimes with Michael. What the hell? Yeah. Holy crap! Yeah. Like uh, I I just love this idea of Ben getting in way too over his head. Though I totally see your point that like this is uh this is like a bit of a hazard to the job. Yeah. Right. Uh. But I mean, yeah, this is just great, great work by Michael Emerson. And so you know, Ben does try to run, but I love. How much have you said weasel? I feel like he comes off like a little mouse here. I'm like, yeah. I'm just, I'm so scared. I'm just poor little Ben Linus. Don't, don't you, oh, look don't at you. do anything to me. Look at you doing the voice. No, I mean, that's, I think that's more so uh, a kindergartner's age, let alone a baby's okay. age. Uh, that, How do you feel about an adult kindergartner? Uh, a la Billy Madison, I suppose. Oh, or, or kindergarten cop. Ah, indeed. It is it is a tumor when it comes to Ben Linus. <laughs> it is a tumor. Uh, yeah, I, I just love everything about this scene. He gets shot. Uh, Rousseau just like does it so calmly. And maybe Rousseau does know who he is. Probably not, though. Otherwise, I, I think if she knew that this was the guy, if she remembered that this was the guy, she would probably interrogate him more thoroughly to find her own Or she'd just kill him. <laughs> or she'd just kill him, yeah, out of revenge. So I think we got to figure that, that, it, that uh, she doesn't know. But she does tell Saeed uh talk to him i as i recall that's what you do um he's gonna lie for a long time he will lie and that's not just advice to saeed it is instructions for us uh as Mm -hmm. as the viewer uh that this character is going to be on the show for a long time saying he's one thing and denying up and down that he's this other thing but he is indeed this other thing yeah and saeed as much you know care or interest as he may have shown Ben in cutting him down, throwing him over his shoulder in a fireman's carry is not exactly the uh, the most humane way of carrying him, like a sack of potatoes. Yeah, well, that's how he's got to carry him. Uh, flashback time. Here comes Kelvin. Kelvin Inman. Uh, we don't know that it's Kelvin Inman quite uh, no, yet. I, I think his name is Joe Inman in the script for this episode, so it's clear that they did not necessarily sketch out it's clancy brown and they're like oh man we got clancy brown clancy brown's the best clancy brown is the best clancy brown is the best in everything that he does and he's been in so many things he himself has been something of the devil uh carnival he's been lex luther uh he was uh recently in the mandalorian clancy brown Mm -hmm. uh, clancy brown one of the greats anytime he pops up in anything as if he hears so much as a mouse farting here is is my favorite shawshank line of his uh speaking of mouses and farting we weren't talking about farting before but now we are. We are now. Uh, so here he is. He's going to make his lost debut. We're going to get him later. Maybe we could save this for further down the line unless we've got some feedback on it. Um, and I don't know if we do yet. Uh, just the, the story of how does Kelvin go from this to being a, a Dharma Initiative employee on the island. Just still not quite sure that I fully see the line. Um, but eh, we, may, we may get there someday. All right. Well, let me, let me throw something out here. Twinmans. <laughs> Twin brothers named Kelvin and Joe. One is an army man. The other one feels like he needs to make something of his oh. life. His brother's sort of been like the apple of his mother's eye. Mike, I, so he, I think this is good. This is the it's the bad twin theory. Yeah, yeah exactly. Twinman. Yeah, I'm into it. I like it. I think you're right. I think Twinman. Yeah, I think I think it covers up the name, so his name is not Kelvin Joe Inman. Uh, and I, it, I, you know, I, now we don't need to, to connect so many dots. Ah, how about this? Now here's the paper towel. Um, <laughs> what about? Could it be clones? And ah. Kelvin Inman comes from the same cloning facility that the the many Bopos come from. Ah, they're all sort of showing up in each yeah, other's lives. Yeah. This cloning facility has gone rogue. It's back. Orphan Blacksmith. I'll also note that I don't know if this is a purposeful choice in the wardrobe, but Kelvin 
is wearing uh, a shirt with uh, like sort of a cargo-y vest over it, which is not too dissimilar from the way Ben dresses in this episode, which I thought was always a really nice detail, sort of connecting the men in Saeed's past and present who are sort of uh, problematic people that he has to encounter for one reason or another. So let's just assume that our theory is wrong and that this is the same guy who's going to wind up pushing a button with Desmondo uh, a few years from now in his life, about a decade on from this moment, something like that. Um, This means that Saeed, his whole life has been shaped by the island to some degree, right? Like this is the Mm. guy who is going to give him literally the tools with which to torture somebody. Uh, both the, 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 the actual instruments, but also the methodology. Uh, and this is going to be something that haunts Saeed for the rest of his life. Uh, and the rest of his life is going to be intrinsically tied to the island. So the fact that this is coming from a guy who comes from hell to some degree, or is on his way towards hell, right? On his way towards the hell that is the hatch, um, I think is, is a fascinating wrinkle. Obviously not part of the plan at the time. Uh, or at least I think we can assume not part of the plan at the time, uh, but is retrofitted, uh, retrofitted with, with Clancy Brown returning as Kelvin uh, for later on down the line. He has this line about how loyalty is a virtue, but that's not you. Uh, do you, mm. do you buy that? I feel like Saeed in many ways is a very loyal guy. Oh yeah. I think at this point, 23 year old Saeed is extremely loyal, but I think maybe what Kelvin is saying uh, is more so, and we talked about this, and we talked about this a bit with Locke, right? This idea of like, Faith is fine, but blind faith is not a good idea. Loyalty is a virtue, but unquestioning loyalty, I don't think that's you. Of like, You have a higher level of thinking that you should know you should approach every ounce of yourself you throw into a cause with a healthy dose of skepticism. And that sort of ties into the tape that he shows him where he says, like, hey, this, this your boy Tariq, who you've been protecting, BT Dubs, he gassed an entire village where your relatives were. And Naveen Andrews does so much great stuff in this episode, but to watch, you know... Saeed really struggled to watch that tape and really put the pieces together as to who he's working for. He's going to break bad when he tortures Tariq, but you have to imagine this is where we sort of start him down that path. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know exactly uh, him getting recruited for the Republican Guard. I mean, we showed that he was capable of killing chickens in his young age, but this is definitely one of those moments where Saeed matures a bit because I can imagine this is sort of an eye-opening moment for him where he realized the— Might be for Tariq. yeah, where, where the brutality of the people that he's worked for has been on display. And yes, everything is subjective, but when you put faces behind the people that become casualties in this, especially innocent faces, then that changes the way you approach things. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's talk about Saeed approaching John Locke with a, with a new inhabitant for the hatch. We're going to listen to this scene. It might go for a little while. I think this is this episode is filled with riveting scenes, really great dialogue scenes. This is one of them. Uh, this is literally the episode is one of them. Uh, and this is <laughs> <laughs> just because we want to remind people like, what episode uh, we're watching. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's listen in. Good stuff coming up. John, John, wake up. Come out here. Minnesota, huh? That's the question, isn't it? Where am I? Who are you? 
Henry, Henry Gale, I'm back. We're going to take it out, but first I want you to relax. How did you get to this island? Four months ago, we crashed, my wife and I. Crashed in what? A balloon. We were trying to cross the Pacific. Your wife, where is she? She died. She got... She got sick three weeks ago. We were staying in a cave off the beach. My shoulder. At least untie my arms. What the hell's going on here? Rousseau trapped him in the jungle. She believes he's an other. An other? What? You shot him with an arrow? Do I have a bow? Hey, hey. Uh, you with me? What, you were just going to let him bleed to death? I was trying to get honest answers while he was able to give them. And his wound is far from life-threatening. Let Jack treat him first, then we'll get our answers. Jack, do not untie him. Josh, before we get into it, I should just mention that given the way that Ben, uh, we hear Ben react to having a, an arrow in his shoulder, I can imagine how maybe if another type of character had uh, been under the same situation, what he would have sounded like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good callback. <laughs> Uh, John, come quick. He seems to be making very weird noises on the floor. Oh my god, poor Bernard. Bernard. That makes me feel... Bernard. Oh my god, you just blew my mind. What if Bernard was Ben the whole time? That would be crazy. That'd be a, a deep con. Would, would Rose be in on it? Or was she was, was she not the wary of it? Oh, it's so crazy. Um, a couple of things. Uh, so first of all, just the scene is excellent. Saeed yep. is already cementing his feeling that, yeah, this guy is no good. He's already feeling that way. So there's that. Um, there's the fact that he goes to Locke first, which is really uh, paying off this idea that came up at the end of the first season where he's like, I do not trust you, but I do believe that you might be our best hope of surviving in this place. Yeah, great callback to the greater good. So it's like, I don't need to trust you to like trust that you're the right choice to talk to right now. He doesn't talk to Jack. Um, I'm not entirely sure why, uh, why he doesn't trust Jack and also that he's going to go on and we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit. We'll hear from it that he's going to think that Jack is going to be really against what they have to do. And it turns out that he's right. But what, what tells him that after the fact that Jack was the guy who authorized the Sawyer torture op, he, he has evidence that Jack might be really into this. So I think that that's interesting. There's a couple of looks in here, uh, that are, that are really great. There's when, when Saeed wakes up Locke, he's sleeping in the hatch and he stirs him awake. And the look on Locke's face as he's waking up, it's like he's waking up from a nightmare. The same way that he woke up when he crashed on, uh, on the beach from 815 uh, and found out that he could walk. Uh, it's, the same, it's, a, it's a look that we're going to be seeing on John Locke's face a few times over the course of, of Lost. It's this sort of just like this wide awake alert, like, am I, is everything still the way that I hoped that it, that it was? Like, there's just always this look that kind of washes over his face. So I want to I wanna give props to T.O.Q. for that performance. And I know that the Ben behind the curtain is a really big fan of a look that Michael Emerson gives 
when Jack enters the scene, that there's this look that registers on Michael Emerson's face of like, there he is. That's the guy. Yeah. That's who I'm here for. Um, and that's all retconny stuff because you can't, you know, that's, it, it could be an editing choice. Sure. You know, it, I, I, can, I can't imagine it can be a performance choice. Um, maybe uh, there is something that Michael Emerson is playing for there. Um, but it's just one of those things that when you, when you do like reinterpret this stuff with the knowledge of future events and should you choose to apply that to the, the story that you're seeing at this point in time, even if it wasn't intentional, you can read into it whatever you want. And I do think that that's really cool to read into is like, at this moment, Ben's like, all right, everything's worth it because here comes Jack and he's immediately very sympathetic to my plight. And that's important yeah. for him to get what he needs out of him. And you could say at first glance without that canon that it's, oh, here's a, here's a, here's a, someone else. Maybe they can, maybe Ben has like great reading of body language and take him to be a more sympathetic person as opposed to the other two guys that are like, let's let him bleed out. Talking about Ben's story for a second, uh, because first off, the, apparently the real Henry Gale did try to do this, but crossing the Pacific in a hot air balloon is whack AF in the year 2004. Bad call. That is a, an extremely stupid feat uh, to try to attempt. Like, Jules Verne wrote a book about it, but don't try to create that in real life. I don't life. know anything about traveling by balloon, so I don't know if it is a thing that you can do or not. Uh, I just feel like it. I feel like it moves super slow. That would be my like, feeling as well. There are so many other modes of transport. Like, I could see you go on a hot air balloon for a ride to sort of, like, take in the sights you know if the pacific is just water there's not really sights there i don't think it's a long distance mode of transportation. listen we don't know what the innovations are going to have to be on transportation technology moving forward mm. given the world we live in today maybe we are all going to be charting our own personal hot air balloons uh maybe that's going to be the innovation for airlines they're just going to build a bunch of hot air balloons that could be very <laughs> private uh you you only have to get in the balloon with the people that you're already uh socially distanced with and you just get flown back and forth across the ocean. That might be it. But I will also say... Have I just described hell? That sounds like hell. Yeah, that also sounds, sounds like, like it belongs in the hatch. Yeah, nothing like sitting in <laughs> you know a, a wicker basket with some of people that you're probably already sick of, having to travel extremely slow and long distances while doing your own yeah. monitoring of gases and other types of... Uh, of elements in the so much gas table. much gas so much gas especially from those from those poor uh little farts from the mice oh uh, i i i the thing that i really loved about ben's ploy here as well i love the element of him saying his wife got sick like i love that word he's gonna get asked about it later on when Saeed's really accosting him but you have to imagine that ben knows this idea of the sickness and how it exists not only in Lost Canon, but obviously, like, Rousseau knows about it. She has her own experience with it. He probably knows it's for a certain extent that Desmond told Locke about it. So it's almost like a key word. That's all he needs to say for everyone to be like, okay, maybe this is starting to check out a bit. Because we do know what happened with people who were sick on this island. And it's also vague enough that he doesn't have to describe exact symptoms so people can sort of check their stories against each other. Yeah, um, it's so good. It's so good. I'm so happy that we have him on the show. He's incredible. Yeah. Mike and I, and I, I mean, Saeed's so cool when Jack walks in with, you know, uh, just being like, I was trying yeah. to get on the sensors while he was, he was able to give them. And, you know, when Jack moves over, it's like, don't untie him. Saeed has taken control of the situation because, like you said, th his confidence that Ben is an other is probably one of the, the most confident he's been in his time on the island. Despite all the freakiness that's been happening, he has conviction that this man is lying and to have him approach jack with this information with like a no bs 
type of maneuver is very interesting, not only with the relationship between Saeed and Jack, but just how much conviction Saeed has in this moment. Uh, we have to talk, uh, at least very briefly, do we have to talk about, the- there's a Hurley and Sawyer scene, they're still chasing the frog, and uh, Sawyer makes a fat joke, and Hurley uh, doesn't like it, and threatens uh, yeah, to leave. He calls, he calls him Babar. He, sa- he, sa- he calls him Barbar, and then Hurley says, it's Babar, dude. Uh, he basically is just a justice for Barbar. He's he's threat justice for Barbar is great. He's threatening to dox Hurley. Basically, he's like, I'm going to tell everyone what you're doing. And Hurley takes a stand. He's like, Yeah, fat guy likes to eat. He's hiding the ranch dressing. I'm fat, 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 fat. It's literally the line. Uh, he says, Find the damn frog yourself. Sawyer apologizes. They regroup. Whatever. Yeah, it's 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 a moment moment of vulnerability for Sawyer where he's like, I need Mike, your help. And you know what? We talk through Lost in such granular detail. I think we could forgive ourselves for just yada yadaing through <laughs> the Sawyer and Hurley Frog stuff. I don't want to really get into it. It's dumb. It's just dumb. It's yeah. bad. Dumb, 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 dumb. Especially when we've got good stuff to talk about, like next level good stuff. We go back to the hatch and Jack, uh, he gets the arrow out of Ben's shoulder. The whole Yeah, I would say this is not next level good stuff for someone who does not like body horror. Sure. But I, I remember at the time being like, oh my God, cut away. Cut away. Yeah, Stop well, that's what he's us- doing. That's what he's doing. He's cutting away at the yeah. arrow. Stop showing us pulling this arrow out of this man's shoulder. Yeah, he's getting it done. He's doing it right. Uh, and he gets the arrow out. It causes Ben to pass out. Jack is still working on him. Meanwhile, Saeed and John watching from the doorway. Uh, and they're going to have a conversation. And we, Mike Bloom, are going to listen in. So what do you think? What do you think, John? I think he's pretty convincing. Yes, he is. The real problem is there's no way we can be sure he's telling the truth. That is not necessarily true. Does Jack have the combination to the armory? For now he does. How long would it take for you to change it? you're angry looking for someone to punish why would I need to punish anyone I want to find out who he is I want the truth and I think we both know that Jack will have issues with what must be done in order to get it How long, John, to change the combination? A couple minutes tops. Then I suggest you get started. Cool. <laughs> Just that cool plan. Cool plan, guys. I mean, like, what what is there to say? Terry O'Quinn, super good. Navy and Andrews, super good. Both of them, super, super good together. This is the historic Benjamin Linus debut episode, but there's also just really great stuff with so many of the main characters. Big exceptions being Sawyer and Hurley. Uh, and less the actor's faults than the writing. I mean, this is... And, and this is coming from Damon and Carlton, so you gotta lay it at the feet of the guys at the top of the ship. But what they're doing in 90% of the episode is really exceptional stuff uh and this is a great great scene um 
I, I do have questions about why Saeed thinks Jack is not going to be okay with this. Is it just that, like... He just he just doesn't have what it takes, to quote his father. Does he just feel like Jack was so specifically scandalized by the Sawyer thing that he'll never do it again? And here's Saeed being like, I know what needs to be done. I'm ready to do it again because this time I believe it's for the right reasons. Um, why, does he, why does he think that Jack's not going to be on board with it? He's certainly right that Locke is going to be more on board with it. But I think what's, what's fascinating, we're going to get into the... We're going to get into the conversation uh, basically right away uh, when, when we get back into the, into the episode from here. After they lock him up, Jack and, and Locke are going to be talking, and Locke's going to be the guy who says, you're the one who is raising an army. I don't know why you didn't ask me to help. That's your business, but the only reason to raise an army is because we're at war, and whatever Saeed has to do behind that door is part of it. Perfect. And Jack is the guy who says, but what if he's telling the truth? And John is the guy who's saying, what if he's not? And what's fascinating yeah. to me about that is, who is the man of science now? Who is the man yep. of faith in this moment? Jack is, Jack is the man of faith and Locke is the man of science. Ships in the night. We've traded places. So I'm total snaps for that. I wrote down that exact same thing where Jack is the man of faith believing in Ben's story and Locke is a skeptic here. But watch how it's going to flip-flop immediately when, when jack says listen i believe ben but that but no, i'm not too sure about that so even it's like a it's a momentary flip but it's such an interesting flip and it again speaks to how ben sort of brings out the innate parts of a person's you know personality or, or the way they sort of like view that type of situation because again you know as, as, as skeptical as jack may be about the bigger mysteries of the island i think his general experience in medicine has made him someone who wants to fundamentally help People. And so I think that's why maybe it does cloud his judgment to want to help Ben, even if he feels like, you know, I'm fine trusting him, even if he's proving quite the quite the contrary. I mean, even when Locke and Saeed will sort of double team Jack right now to lock Ben in the armory, make it a makeshift brig, not to be confused with the brig, uh, Jack will agree. He says like, okay, I'm fine with that, but, but only for now, which he knows it's not only for now, but I feel like this scene proves how lethal of a combo Saeed and Locke are yeah. when they're oriented in the same direction because they are both very hardened men where like if they have their convictions about them can be very cold and very focused to get something done even if it is you know as as Locke says like whatever needs to be done both guys sort of agree about that like you said that's why I think well, Saeed seeks out Locke I also feel like when Saeed asks Locke in the beginning of that clip like what do you think I feel like that's a bit of a test Two to be like, okay, do you are we on the same page or are we going to be battling against each other once more? So, and you could sort of hear that from the way Naveen Andrews delivers the line. But yeah, I would say as big of a Saeed episode this is, this really does plant the seeds for the Jack Locke totally. rivalry. That I mean, we saw it a bit during the hunting party, but I mean, ever since the it's a new phase. Of, it's a new phase, yeah. and I, I think part of part of why and part of why like. Jack and Locke are both right and wrong in this episode in many yeah. ways, right? Like Locke is right that Ben's an other and we need to find out because that's bad. Uh, Jack is is right that uh, that's like a really aggressive thing for us to be doing and a real sacrifice of our humanity to be doing it. And I've done this before and I'm not cool to do it again. Jack is wrong about the button. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, if, I don't think anything's going to happen if we push it. And Locke desperately knows that we've got to push the button. But I think a big piece of why Locke is, is pushed into, into pursuing this thing with Ben and letting Saeed do his thing 
is because here comes a new mystery that comes from elsewhere on the island. The island is calling back out to him. There's a purpose that may summon him out of this hatch. If he's got everybody back on board, like everyone is convinced that we got to do some button pushing. And if he can have faith that people are going to do the button pushing, maybe there is this new purpose for him to go out back into the jungle and find out more about the others, where this guy comes from, be a piece of that. That's what he craves. That's what he wants. He's back at the box company right now. Um, right. So it's it's just it's a great collision and a great example of how Jack and John are so much more alike in many ways than either of them would really want to admit um, that they're both very capable of being the other guy. Um, I'm glad that you picked up on that too because it, it it screamed at me on this on this watch through. Yeah, and I and I think also uh, this idea that like we haven't doted upon the Jack versus Locke on the hatch until like orientation where Jack resignedly says. Okay, I'll push the button. You know, Locke asks for that leap of faith. It seems like, even though Jack has been momentarily distracted by the tailies and the hunting party of it all, he's been relatively on board with the hatch. I wonder if this incident sort of like triggered Jack or snapped his mind back to like, oh yeah, this is John Locke. I felt we were going to have a Locke problem. And you know what? I bought his stuff for a little bit, but now I'm starting to see that, you know what? Maybe this is a croc. I don't know why I agreed to this beforehand. And so I do think there is a natural segue from you know even though he is fully faithful in ben's uh truth telling that he's going to become skeptical of the button once again and i think this is really just coming to a head because jack is starting to realize that okay maybe john locke is not necessarily having his best wits about him when it comes to approaching situations yeah for sure uh so this is a great episode love this uh so we've already talked about a lot of this, but yeah, like uh, they're they're going to throw Henry into the armory. Uh, they lock him up. Said stays behind. Jack doesn't understand yeah. what's going on. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked, locked in, in here, here with, with me. me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, we- and I love badass Said like tying up his hair, being like, "Okay, this is gonna we're gonna there's some blood's gonna be shed in this room." And just to like clarify exactly what Said is capable of, I love that the flashback gives us this moment now where it's Said with Tariq. Uh, and Tariq is still just like dunking on Saeed and be like, he's like, kill yourself. You're my, that's an order. Uh, t- take a plastic bag, tie it over your head, tape oh. it up. I thought it was interesting that he said, uh, do not disgrace your father. I believe this is the first mention of Saeed's father. Yeah, he says your father is a, a great, uh, great hero. Um, all the best cowboys, all the best daddies. Uh, and he spits in Saeed's face. Uh, and maybe that's just like the little lubricant Saeed needed to go to work because uh, he does go to work and we, we cut to outside and uh, Joe and Min, not Kelvin, Kelvin's twin is pacing mm. back and forth. And here comes Saeed. He comes out with the big toolbox. Pilot was executed two days ago. He's buried a field four kilometers from here. I could take you there. He hands back the tools. His hands are covered in blood. And in retrospect... Should we have known that Henry Gale, who's in, who isn't what he said he was, considering that they talk about a pilot being buried significantly before this, in, this incident happened? Yeah, maybe. I just think I just think it's interesting compared to like how obviously the real Henry Gale was buried uh, near the balloon, and yeah. here is a pilot being you know killed and buried, uh, and sort of his his presence yeah. being an entire mystery. That's good. Him. I like that. I think that's good. Uh, yeah, so Jack's trying to solve the combo back on the island. We've talked this through already. Yeah, and, and I would also say, like, uh, extra LVP points ghost-wise to Locke from last week for being like, if we change the combo on the armory, Jack's going to stop at nothing to get in. Seems like changing the combo pretty much stopped him in this episode. Yeah, for a little while, but then he had an idea, and he figured out what to do. Uh, so, like, maybe he would have come to that a little bit sooner. Um, 
Let's go on the other side of the armory. Let's go into the armory and let's hear what's going on. This could be a pretty long scene uh, worth listening to. One of the greats in this really great episode. Here he is, Saeed Jarab versus Benjamin Linus. What's happening? Here, let me help you. You said you've been here for four months. What? You said you came to this island four months ago, yes? Where am I? Please, answer my question. Yeah, yes, we landed four months ago. Maybe more. Who are you? And you were in a cave for all that time. Off the beach. On the north shore of the island. How far from this beach to where you were captured? I don't know. How many days walk? Two, two days. Why did you stay on the beach for so long? Why wouldn't we? We wanted to be there for flyovers. We had an emergency beacon. Transmitter. What kind of transmitter? An ADF beacon. We wanted to make sure we'd be spotted. Look, whatever you think I am, I'm not. Please, just tell me your name. Your wife. What is her maiden name? Murphy. Where did you meet her? University of Minnesota. How did she die? She got sick. She got sick? It started as a fever. After two days, she was delirious. Then she died. I don't know why you're asking me all these questions. I don't know why you're treating me this way. Why I have to explain to you who I am when you don't tell me who you are. I was 23 years old when the Americans came to my country. I was a good man. I was a soldier. And when they left, I was something different. For the next six years, I did things I wish I could erase from my memory. Things which I never taught myself to be capable of. But I did come to learn this. There is a part of me which was always capable. You want to know who I am? My name is Saeed Jarrah. And I am a torturer. Hi, Saeed. Hi, Saeed. <laughs> ah, it's so good. Uh, so well, I want to talk about the Ben stuff first before we get into the Saeed because that's a much meatier thing to dig into. But there's so many interesting Ben lines here when you know everything in retrospect, like when he's talking about. The transceiver and hanging out on the beach, he said, we wanted to make sure we'd be spotted, which is the reason why, you know, he uh, he wants to throw himself into this big scheme to make sure that he gets all eyes on him, particularly from Jack. Yeah. And I, and I love him saying, whatever you think I am, I'm not, 
Because when you know Benjamin Linus's character, there's a parenthetical in there that says, whatever you think I am, I'm not. But I'm I much worse. Yeah, or but I actually am. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I, th- I, I think that Saeed thinks he's another, but I don't think there's any like for all the talk about is Henry an other or is he uh, just a normal person? There's no talk about oh, not only is he an other, but he's the leader of the others. Well, he, like you spoke about this at the, in the season two finale. Yeah. That I think the him that Henry Gale being the big leader when we assumed that Mister Friendly was the leader the entire time was a pretty big shock. Yeah, well, I I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told it on Down the Hatch. I think I have. Maybe I haven't. But we we did have like a friend in college who uh, would r- regularly come and and he didn't live in our house and wasn't a huge Lost fan, but he would always come over and he would come over for Lost episodes every once in a while and he would always be the one who was like talking too much during the show and so we would always be like very annoyed, like please, this is sacred to us. Please stop talking and like we would always out all these theories that would be wildly wrong and ill-informed but he did throw out it's like i bet that guy's the leader of the others we're all like shut up man he's definitely not <laughs> and he was right and it, it, it always infuriated uh. me that he got it right but I'm, I'm glad he was right i'm glad he was right uh so shout out to my buddy john um but yeah i i think i don't know i think one one of the things that's so great about ben as a character is everything's a lie uh almost always maybe not always 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 but most of the time much more often than not he's got a secret agenda but like the best liars he's so good because maybe he believes it or at least he he he's like he's convinced himself so much that he's able to convince you like he is henry gale right now until he's irrefutably not um so it's it's just so good and and the work from Saeed and from Naveen Andrews in this episode is so good because a lot of the stuff, a lot of the material in this scene is just him asking interrogation questions, right? And mm-hmm. and not having a lot of emotional, self-revelatory substance behind it. And everything that Ben is right uh, is saying is being written as him trying to like uh, con- convincingly convey the truth uh, uh, in a moment of desperation and not get hurt any further, um, but is actually all lies. And so we know that Damon and Carlton know that that's the direction they're going with the character at this point. So they get to do that. They get to have a master liar against a master lie detector. Uh, and it's only when Saeed reaches the end of the scene that he finally says something personally revealing where he's like, you know, I, I thought that like I was a, go- a good guy who was put into bad circumstances, but I have to admit that a part of me has always been capable of doing this kind of stuff. So who am I? I'm the guy who tortures people. Uh, it's just so dark and direct and just, I don't know. This is, this episode is not a two hander. There's many hands that go in to making this uh, a really, really solid episode, but this scene. And then the next one that we're going to get that we'll, we'll only listen to the climax of, because the climax is so, so great, but it's That's also right. just like a, it's, it's like a, it's like a boxing match. Of like going into the ring, it literally becomes you know, side beating the shit out of Ben at a certain point, and becomes a uh, uh, second second one up on the on the BLB counter on the Ben Linus beatdown counter. Um, but it's it's a it's a verbal spar uh, where you know just, it, it, he's going to be asking all of these direct questions about process, 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 and then like. Just by the the sheer weight of everything that Saeed's gone through, he's going to crumble. And that's as much a testament to the way that Ben can be such a reactive listener, uh, mm-hmm. such an attentive listener. I don't know, man. Everything that's happening in this armory, uh, EMS, extremely my shit. Well, and also let's remember that Ben knows about Saeed. Exactly. And so that's the thing as well, is that he is sort of, as much as Saeed thinks he knows Ben, 
Ben knows Saeed a lot better. Yeah. So he's really preying on the, those insecurities. And it's not really happening in this first scene. Uh, you know, he still is bringing up the sick thing, uh, though he also, he, I think him bringing up his wife so much is probably not coincidental considering he probably knows that Saeed just lost a loved one. And we saw that later in the scene where Ben so innocently asks, like, did you lose someone too? When, like, he knows fully well. But yeah, Saeed's sort of mini, not revelatory statement, I'm going to say actually revelatory statement, because as I spoke about before, this is so interesting. The line of my name is Saeed Jaran, I'm a torturer, is so different to me than him, you know, really putting himself away from everyone at more than an arm's length in at the end of Confidence Man, because he's like, what have I done? I didn't want to be this person. This is really embracing that this is a part of himself. It's part of its self-flagellation because of what happened with Shannon, perhaps. I can see at this point, maybe Saeed is a character who feels like he does not deserve a happy ending, which doesn't make him too different from the Sawyer character of like, the things I've done in my life have made me deserving of the karmic retribution that I'm getting. Speaking of Sawyer, it goes back to this identifier of you might, you know, as opposed to season one Saeed, which was like, you might know me as a torturer, but I so much more. Here he's like, no, 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 I'm a torturer and I always will be. Not to compare other mystery box shows, Josh, but I feel like Saeed's also big monologue here is very reminiscent of a recent revelation from a character, the man in black, not to be confused with the lost equivalent of him, you know, basically trying to tell himself this narrative and spoiler alert for Westworld, if you want to. Oh, I'm glad he said Westworld because for a second there, I was like, wait, what's he talking? Oh, men in black. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) When uh, they erase their memories and then the bunch of aliens like coffee in the hatch. Uh, But you know, the man in black has really given himself this entire attitude of like, you know what? I'm going into the park and I'm doing these really, really disgusting things. But it's fine because this is like what you want to be. You know, you don't you're not actually this in your real life. But there's very much a debate as to does does the park make you who you want to be or who you fundamentally are. Right. And I feel like we're sort of seeing that reflection in Saeed here of like, I, you know, tried to separate myself from being a torturer my entire life, but eventually I came to the conclusion that this is inevitably a part of me. And how do I reconcile that? And inevitably he's gonna reconcile that by torturing again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, this is a, it's a crazy loop. Crazy ride we're on here with Saeed Jaran this episode. I love yeah. it. It's delightful. I, uh, it's, it's a really, really great character deep dive for somebody who has had a very interesting journey, right? Because let's remember, the post-solitary arc is him and Shannon, Yeah, for the most part. Even the greater good involves her, him working with Shannon post-Boone's death. Obviously, all the stuff with Collision revolves around her death. And now this is Saeed... Once again, for lack of a better term, in solitary. Yeah. And so it makes a lot of sense as to why he returns to this role that he landed on the island with. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, it's great. It's delicious. It's almost as delicious as frog with ranch. Uh, I mean, I guess ranch can help anything. Or, or ranch with uh, the, the 10-year-old turtle named Stuart who ran away. Yeah, so we get the final Sawyer and Hurley scene. I guess the merciful thing is that the, the frog stuff is relegated to three scenes. Right? That's three, it. Three scenes too many. Three scenes too many, but at least it's just three. Uh, we get we get the Sawyer and Hurley find the tree frog. Sawyer crushes the frog in, uh, in his hand after Hurley makes the gracious offer to go and bring the frog to the other side of the island. and just crushes it in his hand. Yeah, and I'm assuming Sawyer is doing this because he really does want everyone to hate him, etc., etc. Really sucks after the arc of uh, of the long con and seeing more deeply into Sawyer's psyche. But he, as you mentioned, he's a super douche and he's 
Uh, I would say Public Enemy number two, only below Charlie, though it seems like, as we'll see at the end of this episode, Charlie's making his way back up the ranks again in terms of popularity. Oh, I would say so. Sawyer is Public Enemy number one again. Yeah, I think he I think he took back the crown by doing what he did. Unless if um, if people had known that Charlie was the one to take. Oh, some, yeah, 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 yeah. He'd be banished from the land for sure. For sure. All right. So he squeezes the frog in his hand. This, this storyline sucks. One of my least favorites on all of Lost it happens to happen in a next level episode. So I think the episode itself, I, I, I can I can take this out of it. But it's just it's a big frog wart. On an otherwise uh, un- unblemished episode. Um, all right, back at the hatch, uh, Jack's like cleaning up all the bloody r- uh, rags. Lack's like, "Do you want a hand? Do you want to talk?" Jack's like, "Shut up!" <laughs> I just love how he shuts him up. Yeah, like he's just done with long, like not even trying to make niceties. I also like the great uh, foley work with the extremely squeaky faucets at the hatch. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, he sees that the pliers are gone, and so this is what escalates things. This is what escalates Jack to, like, banging on the door. What's going on in there, Saeed? What the hell are you doing? Inside the armory, we are getting to find out what Saeed is doing. They're still just talking at this point, but the questions are getting more specific, more aggressive. Tell me about the balloon. Uh, Henry uh, slash Ben describes it. She's 140 feet high, 60 feet wide. There's always just such, like, a, a romantic lilt uh, to, to Ben when he gets into these modes. If you look down on her, uh, you would see a big yellow smiley face on the top. Uh, but he's, he's spinning this, this total yarn. Unless yep. he knows who Henry Gale actually was, and like this is close to it. He really was just this rich guy who wanted to satisfy this dream of, of flying across the Pacific on a hot air balloon. Um, I suppose so. I mean, I guess Henry Gale is a real balloon enthusiast. I suppose, uh, but yeah. But I mean, I mean, give me give me Ben Linus over Kaiser Soze in the in the lying in an interrogation room department because Kaiser Soze needed all of these ingredients on the cork board to tell his story. That's true. Though I would also say uh, I will say probably the most uh, holy and not in the devout way part of Ben's story is him saying he runs a mining company for non-metallic minerals in Minnesota. <laughs> like, unless you're drilling into, like, a block of cheese, I don't think you're really mining anything anywhere in that vicinity. I don't know. I have no idea. You're mining non-metallic metals in Minnesota. And I don't know if Saeed would know, so he's just going for I certainly would have no idea. He's just, no idea. If I say a lot of M words, maybe Saeed will get confused. Uh, say it five times fast. Mining non-metallic metals in Minnesota. Mining non-metallic metals. <laughs> I can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, and so it starts to take the turn. He's like, where's your wife buried? And it starts getting really aggressive. How deep was the grave? Yeah, uh, and, you start, and you start to see, like, I, I don't know if it was sweat or tears. I'd like to believe the latter because you start to see, to your point, Saeed's visage starts to crack. It's cracking. It's cracking. Saeed's cracking. And Ben's getting to him. He's like, you would remember every detail. You'd remember every shovel full. You'd remember every moment of what it was like to bury the woman you'd love. You'd remember if you were true. This is what Ben uh, needles him more. Mm-hmm, uh, did you mm-hmm. lose somebody? What happened to her? Uh, and I don't know, is this an attempt to just empathize? Is he trying to diffuse the situation here? Is he trying to get uh, further underneath uh, Saeed's fingernails, those uh, classical guitar playing sharpened fingernails? Uh, hard, hard for me to say. So I don't know why he would want to invite more hurt from Saeed unless it's to further fuel Jack's empathy engine. Mm. Uh, it could be. I think it could be something where maybe he thought Saeed would get so in his own feels that that would sort of like distract Saeed right. from really pursuing the line of questioning, which I think in retrospect, he would have wished he asked more questions considering that he's going to replace questions with punches. I also love how when Ben needles him about this, 
Sega just says it's an it was an accident, it was an accident, but it sounds almost like a mantra. And it speaks towards again maybe the way he views Anna Lucia before of like I can't be mad at Anna Lucia. This was clearly an accident. She didn't mean to. She thought she was he was somebody else. She thought she was one of them. But like there is still some hurt there that this is something he uses almost therapeutically to comfort himself for losing someone so important. And this is just fundamentally falling apart in this moment. And poor Ben just happens to be right in front of him when it's all happening. Hard for me to say poor Ben yet. Uh, you know, maybe someday when he doesn't get to like, when he has to live in purgatory for the rest of his afterlife, maybe that's Or when, you know, Martin Kimi shoots his daughter after he decides to still acquiesce to his demands. Could have done something about that. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, this is, this is a sociopath we're talking about, uh, in a lot of ways. It's a sociopath that the show, does some work to try to redeem, but how much can this guy be redeemed? I think that's why uh, he can't move on at the end. So we'll, we'll talk about all of that as we go. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's asking all these questions and it's getting side to now start physically beating the shit out of Ben, <laughs> which, which takes us to a really, really exciting climax. I would say adjust your volume. We're going to hear it. It's loud. Uh, a lot going on in this next sound. This is the climax of the episode and and one of the really, really great season two scenes thus far. Here is the penultimate sound here for Down the Hatch. Saeed! Saeed! Jack! Open it. Open it now, Jack. This has to happen. You open that damn door, you understand me? You open it now. No. Now! What do you want me to say? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Just please. I want you to tell me the truth. Open the door. Look, go on and check. What? You want to push the button? Open the door. under a minute now, John. You better think fast. You wouldn't. I wouldn't what? If we don't... You would risk everyone's lives. You talked me into pushing that button once, John. But it's yours now. You're the one who won't risk it. You. Me? I don't think anything's gonna happen when we get down to zero. Jack, you wanna see what's gonna happen? Let's just see what's gonna happen. Right 15, left. You think I'm stupid, you're opening. All 
right. A lot, oh. a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, oh. Jack throwing uh, Locke against the wall. And I guess, are we to assume he had him pinned there for four minutes? Because that's pretty impressive. Yeah, right? I mean, uh, this is... <laughs> Matthew Fox in this scene is incredible. Yeah. This is a brand new side of Jack. We've seen Jack frustrated and angry beforehand. But he is, I would say, manically furious at Locke, especially when we get into like the, you, you talked me into pushing that button once, John, but it's yours now. You're the one who won't risk it. Like, it's almost Joker-esque in just how, I don't know, he's like taking glee in the fact that Locke is so addicted to the button, but he's also just over the moon mm-hmm. angry with him. It's a brand new side of Jack that we've never seen before, to the point where, where Locke's like, here's the combination. Jack shoves him towards the door, being like, ah, I know you're going to take advantage of me again. No, you do it, buddy. Yeah. I don't give a crap. Like, this is, I would say it's boiling to the surface, but again, I think this is just sort of like um, more so triggering something in Jack. This brings out a brand new side of him, and I think this is the Funhouse Mirror, Josh. I think we're seeing Jack's extreme emotions come out when he's faced with a a situation where he desperately wants to help someone and there is something standing in his way how much his heart just leaks out in every shape of the emotional spectrum yeah yeah we also get those glyphics mike there they are those those glyphics show me them glyphics we got the hieroglyphics i mean obviously besides the henry gale mystery one of the big mysteries was what would happen if the hatch timer timed out. And you'd have to imagine when a bunch of hieroglyphics show up in black and red background, that means not good. Not good at all. We'll see the full effect in the season two finale, obviously. But this is definitely the first sign as to, like, what the hell is going on? Also, that cannot be good in the slightest. There is, um, again, talking about um, the great... Um, like visual qualities about this episode that it just it looks so good this is just shot very well it's very strongly directed really really great choices in the editing room there's uh there's brilliant just the sound mixing the idea Mm -hmm. of keeping the background noise of saeed pounding the crap of bed in the background especially during the tense standoff between jack and Locke. saeed specifically saying who are you is like just a great identifier moment between the two guys as well everything about this scene is immaculately done. Yeah, the thing that I I love, and it's it's tough because there's so many great shots in this uh, in this episode. Uh, but one of the one of the true greats for me is when they're pulling Saeed off, right, and he's gone, and like as the scene is reaching its end, you just look inside the armory, and there he is on all yeah. fours on the ground, and the man you're looking at who has been saying his name is Henry Gale. We don't know his name yet, but that mother effer is Benjamin Linus. That yeah. guy is the devil. <laughs> that is the bad guy. And it's just such a good look. Oh, God. It's so demonic. It's just so, 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 so And great. But go to the other side of that. I really noticed the look that Saeed gave Ben. And I was so intrigued because it feels like a mixed look where, like, I wonder if he feels remorse a bit for what he did admittedly flying off the handle when usually he doesn't get emotionally invested in the way he tortures. But at the same time, he still is going to have that conviction that this guy is not who he says he is. And Ben giving him this sort of like teasing, menacing look at the end only confirms that. Yeah. I wonder, Mike, and we haven't brought this up at all yet. Uh, the Wonder Mike, a uh, great member uh, of the, the group that sings Rapper's Delight. Um, I wonder, Michael Bloom, 
we haven't talked about the possibility that Ben knows that Saeed Jarrah shot him when he was a child. Uh, oh, God. And, and, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, this is not the first time these two have met. It's the sure. first time for Saeed. It is very much not the first time for Benjamin Linus. Right. This it's, is a not very, even, it's a very uh, Doctor Who river song. This type is of not even the very first act of extreme violence that Ben has suffered uh, from Saeed. Um, and I, I believe that it's canon that, that when, when, um, when Kate and Sawyer bring baby Ben to Richard Alpert and Richard Alpert takes him into the temple, he says he's not going to be the same. Something about him is going to change. That that's on the table and like he's not going to remember this stuff. Is that true? But is it also possible that like, you know, would Ben is when everyone's going to get like dossiers on the oceanic survivors and they're going to know as much as they know about these people and he knows what he knows about Saeed. Is there any universe where it's explained to Ben like that that dude shot you? Uh, like, does that yeah. does that inform? Does that give uh, Ben any agency in some of the ways that he tortures Saeed? Like, is it mm. is it is it pleasurable to him to punch back at the guy who shot him, who put him on this course? Um, there's never yeah. there's never really any kind of uh, you know we we get to see that moment right? We get to see the moment when Saeed shoots Ben, right. but we never really get to see like Ben's flip side to that towards Saeed. That's never something that's really given to us. But I wonder like if people want to weigh in on that and the feedback, yeah. if they want to send us emails about that, I think that that could be cool to start like chewing on just as far as that dynamic between these characters. Like how much is like Ben, like just like this is just sort of Ben's nature and it's just sort of like this cosmic loop, this cosmic dance that these two guys are on where they're always going to return to each other in some measure of violence and pain versus it is like kind of like intentional almost that like Ben is like taking some delight in, in, you know, picking fights with Saeed. Yeah, it's interesting. I also wonder, like, as they were getting the dossiers on A15, they're like, oh, these people look familiar. Uh, let me, hey, you know what? They were working for the Dharma Initiative about 30 years ago. That's weird. Or someone who looked a lot like them. Look at this picture. Remember the orientation picture? Yeah. Yeah. Like, maybe he saw that. He's like, oh, that's the guy. This guy shot me. Yeah, because, I mean, Ben knows about moving the island, right? You can assume that he knows that there's at least capable of some sort of time travel or weirdness, considering Richard Alpert as a person. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe, maybe, and maybe Ben about. did that because he thought that Saeed particularly would be the one to capture him, yeah. and he thought that Saeed would be the one to interrogate him, and so maybe this is, like, again, another long con for him to get into the head of, you know, granted Jack won't be helping him, but maybe this is Ben sort of getting a bit of revenge for something that has been 30 years in the making. All right, so who knows? Let's 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 see if uh, anyone thinks that we're on to anything, or we're just or done, if we're on anything. Done gone crazy. If we're on anything, uh, Jack's going to ask Saeed, what the hell is that all about? And Saeed insists he is one of them. How do you know I know he is one of them? Uh, and Jack said, that's what Rousseau said about you. So how do you know? And Locke says, well, to Rousseau, he is one of them. To Rousseau, we are all others. It's all relative. Mike, who knew that the real others were the friends we made along the way? Or our relatives? Uh, yeah, I guess I was trying to get confused. <laughs> we're all relatives. Uh, I'm yeah. trying to tell you that we're all deeply connected. If you check the flashbacks, you'll see. Yeah, exactly. We're all, some of us, more closely than others. You should be looking at Claire in that in next episode, particularly Jack. Yeah, yeah. so uh, fun little scene. Final flashback of the episode. Back in Iraq, uh, 
just in case you missed it, that's Kate's dad. He's looking at the picture. Yeah, uh, and I love, you mentioned this before, uh, but I love the image of smoke in the distance. It just means so much in such a small visual. But I also love the desolation of the desert because Lost is a show that does deal with space in a certain regard, but I feel like it's over, you know, big rolling hills and wide green grassy fields. Yeah. Just the brown vastness that we see of Iraq just speaks volumes as to like the very depressing dark situation that Saeed finds himself in most of his life. Yeah. The smoke that's billowing in the background, like no matter what, like uh, it's not the monster, but evil is there. Like war is there. Violence is there. Mm -hmm. Conflict. Uh, It's just, it's just a lot that, that one image of Saeed on the side of the road is just so powerful to me. Uh, Just really, really, really excellently done cloudy day. Like just everything about it is just, unbelievable and, and barren but uh like hauntingly beautiful a lot of that is on Naveen andrews because he himself hauntingly beautiful uh, but in that um in that atmosphere there's just like something like very very human about the whole thing uh and it's this moment where kelvin reveals that like well he he could have spoken to Tariq the whole time he yeah. you know he speaks to saeed he, he says he says to him one of these days there's going to be something you need to know and now you know how to get it uh and it's just it that's so dark it's like it speaks to the darkness of this guy of kelvin that like he thinks he's doing this guy a favor by unlocking something within him yeah if you want to get really conspiratorial down the time travel rabbit hole bullshit like if he's really dharma then maybe he's here because he's got to push saeed into doing this saeed's got to become the man he's born to be kelvin it's your job to go out there and do it uh, yeah, but I, but I also think from like a militaristic perspective, it's interesting as well in that I think Kelvin approaches these situations with brutality. He lost that sense of humanity a while ago in yeah. order to do the job that he needed to do. So I think for him, it's only natural for Sight to get this skill because it's like, yeah, you're on the other side. But look, if you want to be a good soldier, you're going to have to get rid of your emotions. And the great thing about Sight as a character is that while he does pack that away to a certain extent, it takes a character like Nadia to remind him that he never could truly get rid of that. A tiger can only change so many of his stripes, apparently. Yeah. You torture only some of his stripes away. So it's that's the end of the flashback. And I think they just, on a lot of different levels, for me, it really worked uh, making Navy and Andrew, Andrews seem that young. Uh, I think that there really is this sort of, like, innocence lost quality uh, about yeah. the character in this episode that I think is uh, makes this one of the, the stronger flashbacks we've had uh, in quite some time. The episode ends with uh, Saeed recapping the events of the episode with a character who we have not seen in the episode up until this moment, and it's going to be Saeed Jarrah with Charlie Pace. Uh, and they're going to be sitting on the beach, and Saeed's going to catch him up on everything that happened. Let's listen in. There is a man down in the hatch. A stranger captured by Russo. I beat him. I beat him badly. Why are you telling me this, Said? Jack asked me how I knew. Knew for sure that this man was lying. How I knew for sure that he was one of them, one of the others. I know because I feel no guilt for what I did to him.
But there is no way I can ever explain that to Jack or even Locke. Because both of them have forgotten. Forgotten? What? That you were strung up by your neck and left for dead? That Claire was taken and kept for days during which God only knows what happened to her. That these people, these others, are merciless. And can take any one of us whenever they choose. So tell me, Charlie. Have you forgotten? That's one of them. That's the end. So this is interesting because uh, Josh and, and the two of us conversing a bit uh, before coming on here, we, even though we are both pretty much in unanimous praise of this episode and what doesn't work, we actually are pretty split yeah, on, on, on this the scene. ending. So you you go first because you dislike it. I'm not a huge fan of it because, I mean, part of it is something that you brought up earlier uh, before you introduced the clip in that the Charlie appearance sort of comes out of nowhere here and it's not like the long con where you see him at the very beginning and so his presence at the end makes a lot of sense this seems i wouldn't say random because obviously saeed has a reason why he wants to talk to charlie given his connection with the others but it just seems a bit out of nowhere considering this is a character that we have not seen throughout the entire course of the episode like if we did have charlie here i would have liked to see him pop up at some point earlier in the episode and i'm also trying to figure out why Saeed went to Charlie, considering Charlie's status in the group. Mm-hmm. Like, this interaction with me feels fundamentally different to the way the group left Charlie at the end of Fire Plus Water, which feels like maybe too quick of a turnaround. Now, this is Saeed, and we know that, again, he will do what it takes that needs to be done. Maybe he is trying to appeal to Charlie to sort of get him on his side and away from Jack, as it were. What I sort of propose... And I would I would love to get your thoughts on it because again this segues really nicely into the the next episode. What if Saeed does the scene to Claire? What if instead of Charlie he approaches Claire, tells her about it? And granted, it's a very different thing because again Charlie shot and killed an other, but Claire is someone who has very vivid experiences with the others, even if they're not uh, you know at the top of her memory at the moment. It just felt like between Charlie's pariah status. And the fact that he really was not a part of this episode whatsoever, this ending rang a bit more hollow with me than the vast majority of the rest of the episode. So for me, it really works. And I'll try to to respond to your points uh, about it as a means of explaining why it works well for me. So the first one, uh, and, and I, I would ask you to help me here because there's, there's two things that you said that I really want to make sure I respond to. The first one is that this is just the one Charlie scene in the episode, so... Pin in that. And then the other thing is, why does Saeed come to Charlie? Pin in that. So keep that pin. I'll go to the first one first. Uh, Anna Lucia is only in one scene in this episode. She's in basically the top of the episode. And Saeed interacts with her, and through her, he's going to meet Rousseau, and through Rousseau, he's going to meet Ben Linus. And through Anna Lucia, that embodies to Saeed the most recent act of the danger that the others represent. Uh, Through Charlie, that's representing the earliest danger that we saw in Lost of what the others represent. Uh, The the, the biggest act of violence from the others to the the 815ers that we had gotten thus far. So Anna Lucia and Charlie 
our character ingredients, basically. They can kind of just shorthand some information to us emotionally if we've been watching Lost a long time um, through having those characters appear. It's less about them as the characters and more about what they're representing as it pertains to, to Saeed and the notion of the others and this thing that we're being haunted by on the island. The heightened paranoia of the others is what got Shannon killed by Anna Lucia, and that's going to lead Saeed into this whole eye of the needle about the others through this entire episode of going up against one of them. And through Charlie, he's weaving back into how this was so personal to begin with. So that's point one. That's the first pin. The second pin, as for why Charlie, well, you got you got to have the memory again to remember when Saeed came to Charlie uh, after Charlie had gone through everything that he'd gone through. I think it was after Charlie had killed Ethan, mm-hmm. uh, and he 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 brings up the PTSD and talks about how like you're not alone, you're not the only person who's killed people here before. It's going to be with you for the rest of the, of your life. I think that uh, he's been you know he's been on the field with Charlie before. Like he, I think, has seen Charlie in in a way and understands Charlie in a way that maybe nobody else on the island really can at this point, understands his anger, understands his hurt, understands his confusion, because Charlie has been at this war. Jack's talking about building an army, but Charlie has actually like been a piece of this war. He was uh, almost killed. He was almost, you know, his, his life was ruined. It was almost taken away from him, and he killed a man in service of it, and it was like a drastic bad thing to do, and Saeed knows a little bit of, uh, about that. So I think for him to come to, to Charlie, he knows that he's going to somebody who's going to understand him on that front. Uh, and I think he's not the kind of guy that I, I think that like that PTSD uh, piece of it is not a small thing. I think for Saeed hearing what's going on with what happened with Charlie and Claire, you know, he started the fire. Saeed had to put the fire out. Uh, he took the baby, brought the baby in the water. Everybody has banished and written Charlie off. Saeed has done terrible things. Saeed has gone and, and exiled himself from the group for doing something terrible to Sawyer. So he knows what it's like to live in exile from the group as well. So I bet that there's a, a degree of empathy that Saeed has for Charlie that maybe some of the others in the group do not possess. I think that Charlie's a really good sounding board in this moment. Uh, there's there's that piece of it. I also think as far as it's progressing the Charlie arc, we're really low with this character right now. And I think it's a helpful reminder to have Charlie back in this way of like, have we forgotten just how much bad shit Charlie has been through to like put him to the level that he's been at recently? Like, yeah, it's been sloppy AF. Like, yeah, they haven't like fully earned a lot of the stuff that they've done with Charlie, especially in Fire Plus Water, um, and especially, you know, knocking out Sun. Um, but has he not been through a lot? Not just recover being a recovering drug addict on a deserted island where there's monsters scooping people up and eating them in the jungle, um, but everything else getting tied up and left for dead. So I think charlie's a really good sounding board for this stuff and i and it works really well for me because i think you want to have somebody who can shock absorb without judgment the stuff that saeed is saying at the end of the episode and i don't think that saeed has a relationship with anybody on the island better than the one that he has with charlie to articulate this stuff that it is really powerfully in his gut in this moment like maybe there's a way to like shoot this in a way that it's like dialogue free and you're still kind of getting what it is that saeed's going through but i think it's a beautifully uh written and acted monologue that i would really mourn uh, missing out on um if mm. they if they chose not to go that way with with Saeed. And I think Charlie is, of all the main characters on the board, 
short of Ana Lucia, maybe, um, could be somebody to receive this, but I think it's too soon for that. We'll, we'll get that silent version of sort of reaccepting the possibility that Ana Lucia is not so bad later on, ironically enough, with Saeed and Charlie and Ana Lucia all as a crew. Um, so I think we're working towards that. I think it's too early for that moment between Saeed and Ana, Ana Lucia. Maybe that bookends the, edit, uh, the episode a little bit more smoothly, but I still think that Anna and Charlie represent um, poles in this episode that are serving a very similar function and they're threaded through the history of this show and the others. That's a lot of word soup from me. I'm going to take a sip of water. Uh, well, I'm going to sip that word soup because I, I think you're making interesting points, but now the more that you're sort of talking about it and the intentions behind it, I think maybe one of the reasons why that wasn't coming across to me is to the point that you just made that this was not a dialogue, in my opinion. This was a monologue directed towards a character like Charlie. And so my initial blush was not to say, like, wow, Charlie really makes sense as a character given all these conversations that they had. This was not a conversation. This was Saeed talking at Charlie. And so as a result, it feels like a bit of a sloppier sort of piece of dialogue there. And I think maybe had it been dressed up a bit more with, like, you know, a while back I approached you and, and talked to you about what it's like to take a man's life. And like he opens up in that way, maybe reminds us a bit for dumb people like me who might not remember that moment. Then we experience that richness other than having to sort of connect those dots and dig into that stuff that does exist, but that is not, in my opinion, extremely prevalent on the screen unless you have to take into account all this other stuff that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I can totally get it from your perspective, 100%. Um, for me, in the way that I read the show, uh, it, it totally it totally lands with me. Um, I think it's I think it's a really beautiful moment. It's like, it's like not only do I disagree that this is uh, like a weak ending, I actually think this is a great ending. Like it, it really, really lands with me. It's a really uh, powerful, for me, a powerful button on what's already a really powerful episode. Literally, the only things that do not work for me in this episode is the frog stuff. Everything else completely works for me i want to can i approach a point that i put in my own word soup because i know i mean i feel like i'm gonna i know what the answer is but if we replace charlie with claire considering what happens in the next episode how do you think this scene i just don't think that they have that relationship i don't think that there's enough between saeed and claire that it would make sense like it it sets claire up for maternity leave coming up um but you know, Saeed mentions the whole abduction. Like, that sets us back up to remember that that is a thing that happened, and so that's going to lead us into maternity leave. I just don't think that Saeed and Claire have the history, unless there's something I'm forgetting that that you're remembering between Saeed I mean, and Claire. He, he did save her baby. He saved her baby. Uh, he saved her baby, but, like, that was literally it, right? Like, I mean, there hasn't really been any Saeed and Claire interaction. So I think for Saeed to be going to Claire and offloading this onto Claire just doesn't feel very Saeed to me. Mm. See, I would disagree. I think that would be a really interesting moment to introduce a dynamic. This idea of like, okay, here's something we can connect over. Because remember, Saeed doesn't really have any experience with others up until this point. And Claire, even though she has forgotten stuff, she has. And so maybe if Saeed is sort of looking to connect with her on that level, again, this is blatant fan fiction, backseat writing. But I do think there is something in that. And I don't know, maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but I think, you know, to sort of keep Claire out of the other equation for the moment, I feel like may have been a bit of a missed opportunity. Though I do see to your point, if we're tapping upon past relationships rather than the possibility of starting new ones, then yes, Saeed and Charlie is by far the stronger one. I think like Saeed leaves the hatch and wants to talk to somebody who's going to get it. And somebody who he has some sort of a comfortable relationship with. And Charlie stands out to me as that guy of this group. 
Um, like if Michael was around, that might be the person he would go to, you know? Uh, yeah, though, I, though also knowing Charlie, now he's going to like, I don't know, go into the hatch and like continue to beat up Ben. You know? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows what he's going to do? All right, well, we are going to progress forward into talking about all of your feedback from this episode and some behind the scenes stuff as well. Before we do, let's take a quick second to thank our sponsors for this episode. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact, Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or add renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. Get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Mike Bloom, let's get into the others. And let's talk about how Michael Emerson... You're another! (laughs) Let's talk about how Michael Emerson was intentionally hired to be the leader of the others, but a short arc quickly turned into a larger one. This comes, uh, the Ben Behind the Curtain pulls this from an episode of The Lost Podcast on March 26th, 2007. Uh, This is a little bit of a back and forth between Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse. We actually have a little bit of a script here. Mike, do you want to play the role of Damon? I'll play Carlton. Okay, let me get my glasses on. Right, do it, do shave, it, do it. shave my head a little more. Okay. Yes. Uh, our original plan for the character of Henry Gale was a three-episode arc. The first episode was when Saeed captures him. By the end of the third episode, after he sent Charlie and Anna Lucia running off to find the balloon, he was going to escape. Carlton says there would always have been a leader of the others. It was the reason we went to great lengths in selecting Michael Emerson. Damon and I sat around breakfast one morning thinking about who are some of the actors who would really be good as this guy, and we'd both seen him in The Practice, playing this serial killer for which he had won an Emmy. It was always our intention that it would be this cool reveal that our guys had captured the leader of the others, they had him in their captivity right under their noses, and then he would escape. The variable became Emerson is so good and compelling that we were like, hey, We could write some other stuff for him. Damon says, we were thinking no matter how good he is, we can't keep him locked in a room for for essentially, you know, five episodes. And then we discovered, actually, yeah, we could. He was that good. We had always planned Lockdown was going to be a Lock Jack episode or a Lock Echo episode. But when we decided to keep Ben around, we realized that's who Lock has got to be trapped in there with. It was really the story began to morph around our desire to write more for Emerson. Yeah, I I think that this is the thing that we've talked about before a couple of times, Mike, is like, well, you guys said you knew how everything was going to go and you had all the answers and you screwed it up and you blah, 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 blah. Well, you got to respond to what's working. You have to you have to like leave yourself a little bit of wait for it wiggle room to like be versatile enough to play to the strengths of the show. Like if Nikki and Paolo aren't working, you got to know you need to bury them alive. You yeah. know what I mean? And and like when someone if, if, if people like Juliet with Sawyer, hey, let's push that further. You know, and like when when that's when that's the case, uh, you just you have to you have to 
you have to lean into your strengths and, and steer away from your weaknesses, and you have to have the wisdom to, to know where that stuff is, or at least trust your gut that you have your fingers on the pulse. And sometimes you won't, and you'll feel that. Sometimes you won't, and you won't feel that. And I think that separates a heavy hitter like Lost uh, from something like, I don't know, Flash Forward. No shit. Yeah, I mean, and look, we are so eternally grateful that Michael Emerson stuck around for five episodes and then some. And I also think that the way that Ben ends up escaping, which is at the hands of somebody else, seems a little different to me than just like, oh yeah, and then he ends up he ends up getting away. Like I love the fact that it's at the hands of somebody else. Yeah. Uh and I do love the fact that, you know, yeah, Carlton Cuse puts it very nicely of like yeah, of course we're going to bring in like we're going to bring in this heavy hitter actor. Of course it's going to be for an extremely meaty role. We're not doing like a Robert Patrick let's throw him in for a day player gig. Yeah. Yeah. Uh for some reason when you said Robert Patrick, I envisioned Robert Pattinson. I was like, "Wait, was he on Lost cuz that's crazy." Uh, yeah, he actually played uh <laughs> Played young Mr. Friendly. Uh, Damon continues. This is from an interview with Kristen Dos Santos at E! Online. Uh, this is part of the 10-year anniversary of the premiere. Uh, Lindelof said that Ben Linus, he was just really fun to write. I just felt that guy was talking in my ear as I was writing. I could just feel Emerson standing behind me saying, this is what I would say. So Ben Linus didn't even feel like a character that I was writing. He just felt like a character I was listening to. Uh, I think that that's very apparent in the writing of mm-hmm. Ben Linus moving forward and why he becomes so prevalent is just he felt very alive to the, to the people who were working on the show. Yeah, e- easy to write for, which is weird because he is, to your point you made before, one of the more complicated characters. But I think he has such an interesting POV and enters the show at such an interesting time that I think... I can imagine from a writer's perspective, it might have breathed new life as well. Of Not only is this guy coming in, but he is such a wild card and so, um, so you know, Machiavellian that it allows you to have a bit more fun when it comes to the strategies behind these characters, as opposed to characters like Locke, which have the capacity to do bad things, but are a bit more fumbling in the process. Uh, this is from uh, an interview with Michael Emerson in the Kansas City Star. Uh, this was right before the season two finale uh, that Emerson said that everywhere I go, people say, oh, you're so scary. You're so scary. And I think, well, isn't that an interesting remark? All the evidence we have is that he's a victim. He's been beaten. He's been shot with arrows, bound, gagged, tortured, and yet we're afraid of him. What exactly is the nature of that fear? Um, I have to add, Mike, that I, I he wasn't the... F- so I got to cover the final season of Lost. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't talk about that a ton. Um, I, I was in, in my career at the point that the final season of Lost was airing. I was very young in my job as an entertainment reporter, and I was a freelance writer for MTV. And at the time, MTV mostly only covered movies, but we started branching into um, covering TV at MTV News. And my editor, who is a great friend of mine to this day, the fantastic Adam Rosenberg of Mashable.com, uh, knew that I was a huge Lost nerd and so put me on the Lost beat. So I was blogging about Lost for the entire final season um, over at MTV. And I got to do a few interviews with a couple of people. I think I've, I've mentioned the story about interviewing Damon and Carlton and, and Jorge Garcia mm. uh, at this event right before the finale. We did like this big push right before the finale to talk to some people. And Michael Emerson is a New York City guy. Uh, so we brought Michael Emerson in to the, the studio in Times Square uh, at MTV News. And I got to do a long, like 45-minute on-camera interview with him. And he was one of the most delightful, nicest, down-to-earth people that to this day I've had the the good fortune of sitting across in this capacity. But one of the things we did with him 
And I'll see if I can find the video and put it in the show notes. Because uh, I, I actually didn't think about it until just this moment. Uh, it was one of my favorite things that I've ever done. And I think the video still exists. We had Michael Emerson read very innocent, innocuous uh, sentences uh-huh. in like deeply menacing Benjamin Linus tones. Oh, amazing. Like uh, we had him say it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, and he goes, why? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And like just with his like little Michael Emerson lilt. Uh, uh, like I think he's, there was another one that's like, my, what a sweet puppy you have. Uh, and we have it all on oh camera. I think that video still exists. Uh, one of my favorite things I've ever been a part of producing. Um, so just like hearing him talk here or, or reading him talk here, this idea of like, what are we afraid of? He's been beaten. He's been shot with arrows. He's been bound, gagged, tortured, and we're afraid of him? Well, dude, that's because he's scary as shit. Like, you can say the most innocent thing and make it sound horrifying. Uh, and there's this, because there's just like this gravity and weight to Michael Emerson. Uh, I'm so happy to have him in the show now. I'm so yeah. happy that we're not going to go uh, on Lost anymore without having Ben as an active ingredient. Uh, we're, in, we're in the middle of some prime good stuff right now. Well, and I think the funny thing is that Michael Emerson is saying, like, well, you know, he's just a victim, and he's coming across as the victim as well, right? I'm like, why does everyone say he's, I'm so scary? I'm not. I'm just a, a normal man like you. I'm married to the girl who played Arlene in True Blood, and she did a bunch of other stuff, too. He's <laughs> yeah. a normal, everyday guy. And But, I mean, to his point, I will admit, I think the first time I saw this episode, I was firmly Team Jack in that I did have a soft spot in my heart for this poor guy, Henry Gale, especially in this episode, considering how much he went through. And I was like, if this guy is a normal guy, as he's saying, like, I, I want to believe him. Not only is the hot story, the hot air balloon story just ridiculous, and I want to see that happen, but also, like, it'd be so interesting to have all this happen to, like, a poor, normal guy. Yeah. So I, I was thinking that he was a victim, at least initially, but... That's going to start to change very, very quickly as he starts to very easily manipulate the, the other people in the hatch. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the hieroglyphics. Uh, there's some some good stuff from Damon and Carlton um, from the season three DVD featurette uh, where they mentioned that the characters of the hieroglyphics, they spell out the word underworld in sort of tra- uh, traditional Egyptian hieroglyphics. Um, there are many interpretations of it. Um, that's what they were going for, say Damon and and Carlton, uh, and they say that you, you could sort of surmise that there's a history on the island that predates the Dharma Initiative, and that we're talking about an island that's been visited. Obviously, the Black Rock, it's from the late 1700s, so it might be a proper conjecture to say that they were the people on this island a long, long time ago from other places, and that the Dharma Initiative was giving them a shout-out when they built the countdown clock. Props to the Egyptians and that sort of thing. So that's the intention behind the hieroglyphics on the countdown clock, according to Lindelof and Carlton. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that was one of the big moments I remember. I mean, we're going to get a big, big moment coming up in a few weeks here with the blast door map, but I just remember that was one of the bigger WTF moments of season two. Like, wait, why are there hieroglyphics in this seemingly modern day hatch? Why, why is this important to the Dharma initiative or whoever built it? Right. And of course, underworld uh being a big tie in here not necessarily to like they were dead the whole time thing but more so into this idea of like the hatch being hell or being this some sort of weird purgatory where it allows you to take a look at yourself before you end up ascending to the land above yeah so i mean it's hell a little hot for heaven as someone's gonna say um 
let's get into some feedback. This is, this is a lot a lot of takes, understandably, on on the Henry Gale of it all. This is from Megan Cherry. Do you remember when you watched us for the first time? Did you waver on who Henry Gale was, or did you have a strong stance either way? Um, did you have a strong stance, or or was it really that malleable? Was it scene to scene for you? It was scene to scene for me, though. I think I left the episode. Uh, I think I left the episode believing that he was a regular person. And I think it's just because I'd felt bad for all the stuff that happened to him uh, that I was like, I can't imagine that this is like a member of the others. He seems way too much like an innocent guy. Uh, And again, it'll be once he starts being able to sort of wedge his way into people's conversations or the Jack Locke dynamic that things are going to become a bit more nefarious in retrospect. But yeah, I mean, this was a, this was a brand new character. So of course my mind was understandably up in the air. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think I felt like you probably, he probably had to be another, but I obviously had no idea the degree to which he was. Uh, again, shout out to John. I can't believe he got it right. That was absolutely crazy. Uh, Stefan Johnson says, I'm so glad Benry is finally here, but until his official reveal at the end of lockdown, he's a good distraction for me. He pulls the focus so much that everything that happens outside of the hatch seems pointless until we find out who he is or isn't, even up until two for the road. It's hard to care about any storyline except the Benry one. Um, I wonder if that's going to be true uh, going through mm. this. I mean, next week we're going to maternity leave, which is like a, a big uh, move away from this stuff. Um, yeah, so no, sort I wonder- of. I mean, it's, it's, it's other-centric, but it's more actively other-centric. But yeah, yeah I mean, we're going to get into the whole truth. Lockdown is going to have a big piece of mythos but then Dave and SOS are a little bit more character-centric. And yeah, I mean, Two for the Road is going to be so focused around Henry, but it's going to be more analyst. I mean, so, I mean, he has an involvement in every episode moving forward. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I'm so happy about it. Oh, my God. This is just so great to have him here. Uh, ben Martell asked, why did Ben risk everything and get caught here? Wouldn't there have been more expendable options for who could have gotten the job done? Ben does have this kind of thing, Mike, uh, where he sends people who maybe he shouldn't be sending on these kinds of missions. Goodwin. Like he, he sent good. Well, Goodwin like was a vengeance thing. Like, right. That's what I mean. Like he, he made an emotional decision there. And Ethan is just like a weird call. Like he sent the doctor. Uh, yeah. You know, you, we had a great Listen, surgeon. Nobody, nobody said that Ben's a good leader of the yeah. others. I'm sure we're going to get into that over yeah. the course of season three. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why risk everything. Uh, I don't know. He's an adventurous guy. I mean, it could be sort of like the, you know, he's going to die anyway. So this is not necessarily a suicide mission, but him sort of realizing like, I have to go for broke. Maybe he doesn't trust anybody but himself, especially after finding out what happened to Goodwin and Ethan. He feels like he's the only one capable of the job. Uh, I'm not entirely sure because again, this is the man behind the curtain. We believe up to this point that Mr. Friendly is the leader of the others. You can imagine Ben did that for a certain reason. Maybe it's because he had this plan all along of him wanting to slip into the shadows and come across as innocent Henry Gale. Yeah. What lies in the something of the shadows? I don't know. Uh, John Krause uh, says, who do you think gets more of a beating over the course of the series, Ben or Sawyer? Sawyer gets a one and a half season head start, but Ben premieres with an arrow through the chest. Yeah, John, that's why we've introduced the BLB. Which uh, we should say, let's do a, a quick power ranking here. Uh, worse... Injury for Ben, arrow through the chest or getting beaten severely by Saeed? Arrow through the chest! I agree. Shot the chest with an arrow, I agree. And I will say, it might serve as undisputed number one for the entirety of Ben Linus. Because, like, yeah, he's going to get beaten in the season three finale and being dragged around like that one naked guy on Game of Thrones. Uh (laughs) You know, yes, he's going to have, he's going to get beaten many, many, many more times. 
but he's never going to get an arrow through the chest again. <laughs> That's probably the most like death-inducing thing that might have happened to Ben Lyons. I, I think. Of I think aside, aside of getting shot, I think you and I have to try and rank this as we go. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We'll, we'll do. We'll do our best here, and I think it's a pretty clear one-two right now. Uh, that uh, 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 Saeed uh, beating up Ben is inferior to Danielle harpooning Ben in the chest <laughs> with an arrow. It's crazy. Yeah, pretty much at like point blank range. I think he was only like six feet away when she did it. Yeah, geez. It must have hurt. Very bad. Uh, Megan Cherry, once again, in praise of Saeed Jarrah. Uh, all I have to say, she says, is Saeed freaking Jarrah. I watched Lost from day one until the finale, and Saeed was my number one for that whole time. I still remember watching season two and never doubted once that Saeed was 100% correct about the truth of who Henry Gale was. Even super evil genius Ben Linus couldn't get past Saeed's brilliance. Still gives me chills thinking about the moment when we found out for sure that he was, in fact, not Henry Gale. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that moment as well. And we'll obviously get to it of like, that was the big Saeed is right moment, right? When he shoves the uh, the license, pl- the, the the driver's license in Henry Gale's face and we finally find out that he's not who he says he is. It's a mm. it's an awesome moment. And I love how it, it does like sort of harken back to, this is going to be Saeed's motive moving forward is for him to prove that he is one of them by any means possible. Because again, as someone who ended up losing the love of his life because someone confused him for these menacing others to have one in the palm of his hand is going to be something he's going to become obsessed with. It's like his white whale. But if the white whale was swimming in front of him in an aquarium tank the entire time. Yeah. Uh, Fitzy asks us, uh, Saeed said Danielle lied about the others coming as a diversion to get Claire's baby. Did he forget? He literally had the moment of realization that Danielle wasn't lying. Just that they had the wrong child as being in danger and that they were coming for Walt, not Aaron. Did Saeed forget what he learned in collision from Michael or did the writers forget? I mean, we talked about this before. Maybe the writers forgot, or maybe there was a misinterpretation of things. So again, this is coming from Darleton. You would imagine that they would firsthand know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Saeed is uh, no. He's he's purposely misremembering to use this as a tactic for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably just writers like, sorry, oops. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it's a big moment. I I mean, I think we actually saw in our Exodus feedback that some people did take it to mean that. Danielle did it as a as a tactic though I think we are firmly on the side of she misheard Shakespeare tragedy style and it was actually for the wrong kid um Zach Brooks asks us would you guys eat left out ranch well that's a good question I mean like the apocalypse yeah for sure but I would want to ask Zach because Zach is one of the biggest food experts I know like you know I, I think a temperature would probably be an issue for me because you'd have to imagine even though it's room temperature the jungle is not room temperature the south pacific jungle specifically josh you and i have both been there far from room temperature so like yeah. that ranch is boiling hot. boiling hot that's uh that's piping that's like fondue in there and that's disgusting yeah so i'm gonna so i'm that's being not okay to say no. <laughs> that's not okay among the many uh, sins that that storyline commits is that the molten hot ranch is not okay um all right uh last uh week we said like does anyone have uh 10 signs that you're in a relationship with a sensitive man ask and we shall receive spencer y wrote a few uh these are 10 signs that you're in a relationship with a sensitive man according to what was the magazine it was was uh, esquire no it began with an f i think i can easily check in my notes while you're uh, you're reviewing here either way spencer uh wrote the 10 signs we'll read a few of them uh on a date he asks you questions about yourself He's truly interested in getting to know you. That's number one. Sounds right. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's a good listener and will later reference things you've said in previous conversations. I think that's also very sensitive. And also means that they have a good memory. Um, it doesn't have a big ego or need to be the center of attention. He keeps his pride in check. Doesn't feel the need to be the smartest, most attractive, or the most fascinating man in the room. I feel like Spencer Wise is really trying to build you and me up right now. I like this. Like, oh, they're humble AF. And on the moment of, like, they're actually right. very anxious, depressive people. Uh-huh, yeah. All right, well, we'll, we'll read the rest of it offline because yeah. I think that this is just more for uh, you and I to do some— This uh, is very therapeutic. Also, I will yeah. say Elegant Magazine. Elegant, elegant, elegant. It was where uh, Sawyer learned to, uh, to feather his hair before he went to crush a tree frog. Here's another leftover, uh, quite literally, from last week. Let's talk about Gordy's chicken salad. Mike Pomilio comes in with a really great take on Gordy's chicken salad that I appreciate so much. This is from Mike. Mike says, I think I might have some insight into Gordy's very specific chicken salad order. In college, I worked at a video store with a Burger King next door. We ate there frequently, and one of my coworkers would always order a Whopper, but without one specific topping each time. Once with everything but mayo, the next time everything but ketchup, etc. He said he did this to ensure his Whopper was made fresh and they could not use one of the sandwiches waiting under the heat lamp. Knowing that it's impossible for the dinner staff to remove all of the dark meat and celery from the pre-made chicken salad waiting to be scooped, Gordy was just guaranteeing his order was made fresh. I gotta hand it to Gordy! That's some next-level chicken salad genius. Yeah, I mean, this guy's got to be like one of those secret shoppers, right? Like, he knows the techniques to really get what he wants. That being said, still not a great thing to do from a person perspective, because this poor, like, beleaguered Diane Jansen has to go now make sure the chef is uh, putting, making sure that, you know, his order is to tea. But I guess if he wants to have the best darn chicken salad that the diner has to offer in the freshest way possible— Good on Gordy? Yeah. I suppose. It still reeks of Karenism to me. Uh, just the way of like, please do it this way or I will speak with your manager. But I, he, he's a con man, true and true. He has a method behind his madness. Yeah. So we also, of course, we, we have started the BLB counter. Uh, we are going to be tracking this. We're putting this in our document as we speak. Uh, Danielle harpooning Ben, number one. Saeed beating up Ben, number two. Uh, we will have more beatdowns. Uh, we will update accordingly as as we go through. How about the the MVP section, Mike? The MVPs and the LVPs. I've got two MVPs. You've got three. You've got two LVPs. I've got three LVPs. This is a tough week because I think a lot of people did great. Uh, like a lot of MVPs to go around and then uh, really just like a lot of point spreads that we could possibly do here. Yeah, well, there was a lot of people in this episode, even though I might uh, have griped with Charlie only showing up at the end. So I think it makes sense. A lot of people are getting pops here. And I'm going to start with the guy who not only showed up with a pop, but also got popped in the shoulder by a harpoon. Let's start with Benjamin Linus here. Let's get him on the board. Let's get him on the board. I think that's great. Uh, you know, it's just it's such a good performance. If if I had more points to dole out, I would give more to Ben as well. But I think I I, I think we're going to give five different people MVP points this week. Yeah, uh, which is exciting. Um, but I I like very spiritually endorse the Ben MVP point. I think that's a really good one. He lies so well. He. Can't lie well enough to fool Saeed, but that's because Saeed's a human lie detector. And of course, he will get my MVP point. Uh, Saeed, who is uh, our our leader of the MVP section overall, and is just behind Mr. Echo right now in season two. Who's been MIA? Um, Yeah. Second episode in a row, I believe, or maybe he just made a brief cameo last week? It's been been a little bit. It's been a hot minute since we've been giving Echo any points. So Echo is still sitting at the top of the season two charts with 11, but Saeed's coming for him. He's got eight. 
So Anav will also give a spiritual support from Saeed as well, not only because of him being ultimately right, but just Naveen Andrews. I mean, I would argue that from a character perspective, this is the best Saeed episode. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I, I mean, we'll, we'll have some stuff to come, and we'll definitely talk in the uh, the points section about how this compares to Solitary. I'm going to give a point to Danielle Rousseau, because not only was she right, but she did shoot the leader of the others who took her child in the shoulder, which yeah. is awesome from Daniel's yeah. perspective. Spiritual points from me for marksmanship, for sure. Uh, I'm going to give an MVP point to Jack. I think this is the best Jack episode in a good little while. Uh, like, the, like the most decisive. Like I know there, there were some people who were like, why is Jack so upset and up in arms about uh, Saeed torturing uh, Ben? Well, I think that this helps explain why maybe like the army thing doesn't go forward. Like, maybe yeah. he's learning. Like I actually don't know that I have the stuff for this right they're uh, like he's he's fine being a leader but i feel like a military leader is different like, than just this being is the too leader far of a group. this is too far uh and the fact that you have to imagine that he's pinned john locke to a wall for four straight minutes is pretty pretty cool and uh, let me take the other side of that schism i'll take john locke here uh not just because he was correct but also the fact that hey he ends up saving the island because uh-huh. he ends up putting the numbers and even though he does have like grandpa speed levels of typing uh, maybe we wouldn't have seen the hieroglyphs if Locke had gone a little bit faster, but he does end up, uh, you know, Jack ends up being wrong here and saying, let's not push the button. So for Locke momentarily saving the hatch and their lives, I'm going to give him a point here as well. All right. On to the LVPs. I've got three. You've got two. Obviously, Sawyer's getting an LVP this week. Yeah, and I'm going to throw one on there as well. And I, it's because they wanted us to do that purposefully. They want him to be losing points here, and it sucks that we have to sort of buy into what they're doing here because, again, I do not like this storyline, but we got we got to call a spade a spade and a frog a frog here. Speaking of the frog, the frog dies, so I'll give the frog an LVP. <gasps> uh, could the frog be the smoke monster? The frog is definitely the smoke monster. Definitely trying to get under Sawyer's skin, uh, further prove that he's just an asshole. He likes that about Sawyer. Uh, I think the smoke monster likes to mess with Sawyer a little bit, so yeah. Uh, so I was monsters the frog confirmed. I was coming into this thinking of giving an LVP point to Hurley because of the stash that he kept, especially after what we talked about with everybody hates Hugo about how tough but like beautiful of a decision he was as a leader to give everything away. But I'm going to give him some sympathy because he does speak up to Sawyer finally about making fun of his weight the entire time. And I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, throw on another debut character, one that we will not be seeing uh, for about 10 or so episodes. I'm going to give one to Inman. Oh, right. It's, uh, one Inman or the other, the Inmen, as yeah. it were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw one on here because, uh, as you mentioned, like he purposely sends Saeed down a very, very dark path that ends up putting him on the island in a manner of speaking, but also has him do unspeakable things that just completely pollutes his soul. Yeah, I'm going to give an LVP point to Tariq. It was very extreme for him to tell Saeed, put a bag over your head and kill yourself that way. Yeah, and also spat in his face and said he's a disgrace he to his, his father. He spat in his face. Apparently, like, he like sarin gassed everybody. Not great. Yeah, I mean, Saeed puts it best when he tells Tariq, like, oh, you value the information more than me. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, 4.2 stars, Mike Bloom. This is the moment uh, where we put our scores on the board. I give a score from 0 to 4.2. So does Mike. The audience does as well. And we average that audience score as our third data point. The three points combined for our official down the hatch rating. Um, I have been saying all along that I think that one of them is a nearly perfect episode of Lost. And for me, it's really only held back by the frog stuff, which I think is just so stupid 
It has never worked for me. It really doesn't work for me, even on this watch through. It's just bad. Um, but it's not so bad that it like dings the episode too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the historic qualities of this episode too, um, with uh, Michael Emerson just arriving so fully formed as this character, fi- the excitement of getting this character finally on the board, um, it just pushes this really, really beyond. I, I think if I'm going to give the long con a 4.1, I got to do the same for one of them. I think it's at least as good of an episode. I think it's actually one of them is an objectively better episode than the right. long con. The long con is just like a sentimental favorite for me. The one, but one of them is just, is one of the best episodes that we get in season two. And I think one of the best episodes, maybe like one of those like quiet best episodes of the show period. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it a 4.1. It doesn't really like when you think of like, okay, what are your Mount Rushmore of lost episodes? Definitely not on the list, but like, it de- but, it, but, it, but, it, but it, I think it's, it's one of those things that like, it's never going to be really in anybody's conversation, yep. but it's a surprisingly good episode. So yeah, I mean, I was thinking it's definitely up there for me as well, because not only is it an episode that introduces so many important things to the lost mythos, but it's also a fantastic character study of Saeed as well, has some great Jack Locke stuff, creates some very just apparent intensity to and not uh not inorganically not just sort of like creating it out of thin air with stakes so it's definitely up there for me you know i've been trying to compare it to solitary and i think i i like solitary on the whole a lot better than one of them i think one of them has a lot of great strong stuff but there's nothing in solitary that i dislike as much as i dislike the tree frog storyline so I gave Solitary a 4.1. I'm going to knock this down a smidge to a 4.0, but that's still up there. I gave Long Con a 3.9, so I do like this episode better. And yeah, this was a surprise watch for me in that I remembered Ben's debut episode and all the intensity behind it. But the performances all around, combined with a lot of the great character stuff going on, Sans, Sawyer, and Hurley, might be an all-timer. And that shows in our rankings, Josh, because we might possibly have a new number two best episode of season two. Well, we do. Currently, uh, the audience average is a 3.8 as it stands for one of them, which is also the score for the 23rd Psalm, uh, the Mr. Echo episode that has been rocking second place for a while. Um, In fact, the scores are exactly the same across the board. Ooh. I gave a 4.1 for one of them. Mike gave a 4.0. The audience gave a 3.8. Uh, and same exact deal for the 23rd Psalm. So they're both sitting at a 3.98. So right now we've got ourselves a tie for second place uh, for season two between one of them and the 23rd Psalm. Uh, I think that that's a reflection of how excited the audience is to have Henry Gale slash Benjamin Linus on the board. Uh, uh, my excitement certainly meets that level as well. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at the scores. They pretty much all seem to hover in the mid to high threes. I've seen some fours and 4.1s here as well. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, I think if we were looking at the ranking of these episodes before the season, and you told me one of them is going to outrank the 23rd Psalm, Orientation, the other 48 days, I'd be like, oh, I would not have expected that. But I think, again, just showing how strong this episode is this one-two punch just stuck right in the middle of the season that yeah. might not, and a lot of people might not remember yeah. that's why i love this rewatch podcast for so many reasons josh as we get to re-explore some of these episodes that even though lost has a fantastic tapestry of stuff and only you know a little over a hundred episodes to look at there's still ones that end up sort of making the the cutting room floor when it comes to people's best ofs and i think one of them might be a a sneakily good episode 
Yeah, I love the Saeed episodes. The Greater Good is the one that's like a little bit on the cutting room floor for me, but the rest of them uh, tend to be extremely my shit. Again, EMS. Uh, Next week, we are talking maternity leave. Excited to get into that. Second ever lost episode that takes place entirely on the island. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that'll be fun to talk about. Uh, Get some Claire. Libby, you know, is going to have a bit of a role. Kate, obviously, big role. Rousseau back in the house um and i think to like talk about those dynamics should be pretty fun return of ethan rom uh looking forward to that that podcast is going to drop in your feed may 8th so get yeah, your feedback in a few in. days actually ironically enough before mother's day this year i know in a few days ironically enough happy early birthday one year to the great asher bloom uh, yes my own may 4th. Larry, hopefully he won't develop his own rash and questionable <laughs> cause me to go into the middle of the jungle rasher yeah so uh happy early birthday mike to your son to you and angela Thank congratulations you. on one year that's really really exciting i i mean it's it's crazy so much has happened in a year including this podcast and obviously i've spoken many times about how being a father has instrumentally influenced the way i viewed this show so far aaron does not play as large of a role in next episode but it's going to be i'm sure something that's going to be at the top of mind. It's going to be very colicky. Very colicky baby. Yeah, exactly. But we're going to be celebrating him. We're going to have our own sort of quarantine birthday, which I guess is very season two themed, right? I'm a big quarantine birthday guy. I had a quarantine birthday, and it was the best birthday I've had in a very long time. Uh, I just went on the internet and shouted about myself for as mm. as See, long as you think you think Asher should possible. do that. Yeah, I think that you should have an extremely online birthday with Asher. I think he's going to love it. He's yeah, gonna that's not going to p- corrupt the, the youth of America or no, anything like that. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, maternity leave coming your way next week, just a few days after Asher's first birthday. We will uh, we'll check in. We'll get the saddest report on how all of that played out for you, Mike. Uh, your feedback, your questions, your comments, all of that, you can send that our way down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Our Twitter accounts as well, at postshowrecaps, at roundhoward, at a Mike Bloom type. Please subscribe uh, to the Down the Hatch podcast. Your ratings and reviews greatly 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 appreciated also uh, a little bit of a of an advisory for mm. the lost fandom um this podcast dropping on may 1st which is also the date that lost is being made available on imdb tv yeah. uh which is a, a free streaming service that you got free access to it has ads, so it's ad-supported, um, but it's touting that it has uh, half the ads of traditional TV, so shorter ad runs than, than you're used to on TV. You report back. Go check out IMDb TV. You can watch every single episode of Lost uh, for free without having to sign up for Hulu or anything like that, um, and, and that could be fun. Uh, we would love to know. We would love to know yeah. if uh, is the ad experience like super aggressive, or it, does this actually work? Is this a good solution for people who... Um, have been listening along, but maybe didn't want to get like a subscription service. I was going to um, say people have no excuse now who listen to this podcast and wouldn't have a, a defining way to check out unless IMDb TV is US only, in which case you poor internet as much as lost likes to embrace the international crowd. Maybe these streaming services do not. Yeah, so report back. We'd love to know. Um, also, I am in touch with a contact from my old days at MTV. It looks like the Michael Emerson video that I was talking about is um, currently missing from the internet. So, <gasps> A, if anybody uh, can find it, 
you'll be a hero to me. Uh, but B, we're on the hunt. We're, we're doing what we can on our end uh, to, to see if we can unearth this thing. So we're looking for it. In the meantime, I'll put in the show notes uh, a more serious segment of my Michael Emerson interview from the MTV days from 2010 when I was a young warthog uh, interviewing Michael Emerson, May 2010. Warthog May farts. Uh, yeah, warthog. No. <laughs> Very nice. I mean, I think if people honestly want to commit to this show, then they should travel back in time to 2010 yes. and find... A young Josh Wiggler, yes. what he interviewed, and please do not shoot him. Do not shoot me at all, please. But I'll include the link to that just in case you want to see. Just so you know, I wasn't lying. Did the thing. It was really, really cool. One of my favorite things I ever did. Uh, Mike, anything else? What's up? You doing I, all right? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, we're doing lots of stuff. I mean, the Survivor season is starting to come to a wrap-up, so we're, we're finishing that up, both you and I. Though there might be some stuff down the horizon as Survivor reaches its uh, very long-lasting off-season. You and I are talking Top Chef with just a fantastic group of people. I really encourage people, like, if you honestly just want a podcast with RHAP personalities that's like a hangout, no real focused topic of discussion, honestly, check out the Top Chef podcast. We've had so much fun with it. And if you like the goofiness that Josh and I put out here multiplied by about five people, then you're going to you're gonna love the Top Chef. Even if you don't watch the show, which you should, because it's fantastic reality television. Uh, but, you know, if you're in for a good time and want to check out some casual RHAP-based talk that's not necessarily all the time about the shows that we're watching, check out our Top Chef coverage. Top Chef coverage, super, super fun. Just hanging out with some peeps, talking about food on a Saturday. That podcast drops typically on Sundays. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it if you haven't given it a shot. Obviously, a lot going on on post-show recaps as well. We just dropped our Thor recap for our Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch project on Everything is Super with myself and Kevin Mahadeo. Uh, we dropped our Better Call Saul final podcast of the season, myself, Antonio Mazzaro, and Rob Sesternino, uh, taking feedback from the listeners. So we're putting that to bed for the foreseeable future. That was a really fun show. Killing Eve is continuing. Jessica Lee and I are talking about Killing Eve. We're at the halfway mark. Yeah, I was going to say, you're the season's almost done, right? Well, almost done. It's going quick. We're at the halfway mark as of Sunday night. Uh, we'll have that podcast for you on Monday morning. Also Sunday night, the Westworld season finale. Joe Garfine and I will be taking our time getting that podcast to you just because that's the way the circumstances are dictating it. We're going to be recording on Tuesday, so expect that Tuesday night or on Wednesday morning. And if you're enjoying the Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, the video game uh, that's very near and dear to my heart, Ken Hong and I are continuing our sporadic coverage of Final Fantasy seven as he's making his way through the game i've already done so we're recapping it um having a really really good time i think we're gonna have a really fun show coming your way at some point this weekend uh so check all of that out tons of stuff happening on post show you can uh, subscribe to post show recaps as main feed any of the individual feeds for those shows or just follow us at post show recaps at round howard we'll keep you apprised of all the things that are going on um until next time everybody stay away from harpoons and uh and and Nets. hot ranch and hot ranch yeah especially the hot ranch i know desperate times but be careful out there